It's the truth. What is it? Well, it looks very much like Paul to open. Paul to open. Yes, and what do you do? They're utterly ruthless, total machine creatures. And we really weren't trying to steal your gold. Will you just shut up about your rotten gold? I'm just thinking. Well, don't. All resistance overcome. Hello! Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, every single story in random order. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal, and Chris and I have uh, been on this random journey through the Doctor Who cosmos for, for a while now. And I gotta say, man, I'm always surprised about how jumping around on random Doctor Who stories just like opens up entirely new perspectives on the show. It really I, does. I truly believe this is the best way to watch the show now. It kind of is. I mean, we talked about this in the past. It's, it's kind of limiting. Like as, as Doctor Who fans, you can get into binge weeks, months, <laughs> years, even where you're just like, I've got to watch everything. This is a way to control it and slow it down and make sure that someone like me who hasn't seen a lot of the classic series, uh, despite being a fan of it, um, actually gets to see the classic series. And that's what we're doing right now. Uh, we've been stuck in the classic series with our Type 40 TARDIS not able to get out of it uh, for God knows how many weeks now. When was the last non-classic Who story we did, Pete? That was the Eaters of Light. Ah, The late yeah. Capaldi episode, and I think yes. it was the spring of this God, year that, that seems did, 20, so long ago when we did that. Yeah. Um, but three episodes ago, we were at Spearhead from Space, the, the John Pertwee opener uh, with the Autons. That was fun. Two, episode, two episodes ago, we then descended into Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy episodes Battlefield and The Two Doctors. Right. Uh, also a Troughton is, episode. Yes. Yes, indeed. The the only non-multi, non-special multi-doctor episode that isn't twice about a time, twice off of a time <laughs> or a regeneration episode. <laughs> You always have to couch these things very carefully. Anyway, we were at the Two Doctors. We were basically on vacation in Andalusia, Spain, uh, with Patrick Troughton in his bushy uh, Andrigam eyebrows. Yeah, and now, and now we are at season twelve, serial number five, Revenge of the Cyberman, which is following on from Genesis of the Daleks, which we visited. Was that this year? Was that last year? I can't even remember, Pete. Uh, it was a while back. Might have been last year. I'd have to check the. I have to check the records, but uh, it was some time ago. It was significant, but all, all I remember is like it, I, I feel like the randomizer kind of kind of signaled like you know, there's that great scene in Genesis of the Daleks where Liz Sladen changes into. Yeah, <laughs> I say great scene, weird scene where she like changes into random camo pants. And we're like, why the hell she did that? Turned out it was a continuity thing for Revenge of the Cybermen. Now we get to see that costume in action. I feel like, yeah, yeah the randomizer left us that thread to pull on. And, and here we are. Uh, mm. Randomizer does love to take us to stories right after other stories we did. I mean, I got to uh, say, Liz Slade makes anything look good. So she really does. 
even yeah. when she's getting all cross and upset at Harry, as she really does in this uh, in this story. But we'll get there. Yeah, she gets uh, she makes she makes glowing neon uh, lesions on a neck look. Pretty mm. good. So. Oh my god, <laughs> so. that glowing neck effect that was, was quite extraordinary. But we'll we'll get into our deep dive on it. Yeah. Uh, it is our fourth Cyberman story that we've visited. Mm. We've done Dark Water, Death in Heaven. That was our first Cyberman. We started mm-hmm. off with the Cyber Brigadier. Uh, then we went way back to the beginning of the Cyberman with the 10th planet. That was our next. I love uh, that you go, call that episode the Cyber Brigadier episode, which like the that's, the, that's the thing it's known for. <laughs> I guess it kind of is. It uh, kind of is. And that's it's, the first it's, thing that pops into my head. But anyway. It's interesting. The, the Brigadier does kind of feature a lot in, in a lot of... Um, you know, pull to open, uh, randomizer decisions. True. It took us to Battlefield, the last Brigadier story. Well, and um, he's actually mentioned in this one. From the he's mentioned in this one because, mm. of course, uh, Revenge of the Cybermen leads into Terror of the Zygons. Uh, and the Doctor, you know, gets a message at the end of Revenge of the Cybermen from the Brigadier, or says he has one. Um, actually, I don't know if you knew this, Pete. Do you, did you know about Disney time? I didn't know about Disney, Disney Time. Time. What's going there on was a Disney special Time? episode. So Disney Time was what we had in the UK. That I think over here you called it the Wonderful World of Disney or something. It was yes. on yeah. every week. Sunday nights. Yep. Uh, but oh, in the UK they'd get like TV presenters to do it, TV stars to do it. And for this episode, they got Tom Baker to do it in character. Oh, so okay. he actually, technically, according to some. <laughs> some variations on what Doctor Who canon is. After Revenge of the Cybermen, he goes to a <laughs> theatre in London because he's ign- deliberately ignoring this distress call from the Brigadier. He goes to a theatre in London, watches a couple of Disney cartoons, uh, and, th- and then and resumes his adventure in the time. Oh, I thought like, he would, like, records a bunch of things for the BBC. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he's, he's just that. He's, it's sort of a weird thing. I haven't actually seen it. I've seen it described by fans. Um, but it is it is bizarre. And there is this debate about, is this actually canon? That between mm. <laughs> Revenge of the Cybermen <laughs> and Terror of the Zygons, the Doctor actually goes and watch, goes to Lesser Square, actually. Goes to cinema, watches a bit of a Disney movie. Oh, that's funny. That sounds like such a Doctory thing to do. I it want really that to does. Yeah. It really does. It's sort of like, kind of like a crap version of, you know, David Tennant at the end of his era, kind of going off and visiting and partying yeah. and, uh, you know, and all of that with the... The, on, the, the only thing that, that I could see happening is Sarah would be like, hey, come on, Brigadier asked for us. And then I think it's pretty easy convincing there, though. It's like, Sarah, time machine. Come mm. on. <laughs> <laughs> like, Let's get back in. Yeah. Right, well, let's get back in our time machine, or rather get stuck in our feedback loop, which is where we talk about all of the stuff that's been happening with us as a podcast. Yeah. So Pete, let's get meta. Let's do it, guys. We're in the feedback loop and always up at first in the feedback loop are reviews. And as everyone knows, reviews are a great way to tell us what you think of the show and help the show out. So if you leave a review in the Apple Podcasts app, that tends to be looked favorably on Apple and by Apple, and it will improve visibility of the show. So please, if you haven't left a review yet, please do so. I know a lot of you guys listen on Spotify. Uh, go ahead, grab the Apple Podcast app if you're on an iPhone or on that platform, and just open it up one time just to leave the review and be really appreciative. And we'd also love to read your review out on the podcast, which I'm about to do now. Uh, I'm about to read this review from somebody 
with the handle Jasper244. Jasper244. And it's a review by someone in uh, Great Britain. And it goes like this. The title is So Great. And they look five stars. Thank you. And it says, I found the podcast because I'm a huge fan of Chris's book and was looking for other stuff he's done. The random nature is such a great idea. And it's made me go back to watch some of the classic stories I've missed. The hosts are hilarious with some brilliant takes. Defo worth a listen. Oh, great review. Thank you so much, Jasper244. And I, I like this too because uh we almost never talk about it but you you wrote a book about actually a different franchise yes i'm like thank you for the the opportunity jasper to pimp my book uh live on the air uh yes i wrote a book called how star wars conquered the universe and it's the first complete history of the star wars franchise takes you from the very very beginnings uh in uh in uh, edgar rice burroughs science fiction um, all the way through to the Disney sale, and it's kind of a cultural history of Star Wars in many ways. Uh, it's great. It's available all good bookstores. Seems to be particularly popular in the UK. Um, and not unlike yourself. <laughs> Why? Thank you. <laughs> uh, and uh, also popular as an audio book. Uh, please uh, run out and get that. That's where I get the most, uh, the biggest cut. Uh, so Ooh, <laughs> always when people get it as an audio book uh, but also no it's got a really a lot of really good reviews there um, but as do we for the audio book there's just less overhead or something it's just like you know it's the I, gift that keeps on giving so yeah you get, that's the way you get the profits the, the deals are structured I guess I don't know it's I like, know. It's like the people, podcast download all you want yeah a lot of people more. have asked me do I narrate the audio book and uh, oh, I you say should. no there's a disappointment um, yeah now I know you know, for whatever whatever book is next, I'll I'll be like, uh, but wait, I have fans who would like to hear me read this in my voice. Um, <laughs> well, maybe some fan could volunteer to read it or do a new it version. Is, I don't know the special edition weird. of your book because clearly I, somebody's already done it, right? So. <laughs> special edition. I kept trying to persuade my publisher when we updated the book for the paperback edition. I was like, can we just put special edition on the front? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone will have to come back and buy it all over again. I wouldn't put it past lucas to have trademarked that term so danger <laughs> danger zone cool man well, well anyway. i once wrote just to you know get my plug in there a really terrible sequel to the caves of andrazani for Ooh. a short story wow <laughs> like ninth grade or something which Ooh, uh, I, thankfully, um, I, I think might be lost but we'll what? see i don't know i'll, I'll see if i can yeah, dig it up see if you can might, dig that up you know what? You, you see if somewhere. you can dig that up. I will see if I can dig up the very first story I wrote about Tom Baker, Tom Baker's doctor inviting me into the television. Um, oh, okay. In an adventure with Daleks. Uh, so you're saying you sure wrote? Does, guys. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> saying you wrote basically the Twin Dilemma, but but not. I basically wrote a return to Andrazani Minor. Oh, okay. And was it with uh, the sixth Doctor though? Or still... It was with what I envisioned uh, with the... was the seventh Doctor, ah. but I actually kind of wrote it like the sixth Doctor. Ah, right, and, right. No, it's it's probably better suited as a, and I also put Melanie as the companion, so I think it works well huh. as a sixth Doctor with Mel hmm. uh, adventure. Well, <laughs> to definitely. the extent it works at all, because I rip off a lot of things, and uh, I remember call, I called it Countdown. Because Ooh, there's, good title. There's a countdown. I mean, it's, it's it's the big 
climax of the piece, obviously. So anyway, Pete, it, re- it really just has to uh, jump such a low bar to already be the best <laughs> Doctor Mel episode. Um, <laughs> that I, oh, I really want to. Langford. <laughs> oh, so great, poor Bonnie. We love you, Bonnie. We love um, Bonnie. Uh, but yeah, we. I would love to hear that, and maybe this can be your big finish audition. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, All right, I'll yeah. see if I can dig that up. I, Countdown. I have to go back to Edmonton. <laughs> go through some dumpsters, but we'll see. There were, anyway, <laughs> next week on the Moving podcast, on. we'll see Pete on a map <laughs> as he moves north. Um, all right, so yeah, that was a great review. Thank you, Jasper. Yep. Uh, and as ever, please leave a review yeah. if you haven't already. And also, again, doesn't you, you could write something like Jasper said, or you could leave simply some emojis because we love emojis, and we also love it when people do the titles of episodes as emojis, as, as someone did recently. And uh, those are always fun little brain teasers for us. So, so go ahead and, and do that, or just drop us a line on one of the socials. Speaking of the socials and other places to interact with, pull to open the podcast. You can go to YouTube. Our channel is, of course, at youtube.com slash pull to open. We are obviously uploading new episodes every week, uh, whenever we do them, of course. And also the older episodes that were never on YouTube, uh, you've noticed, I'm sure, they're continuing to be uploaded. We recently Mm. just did The Rescue and The Censorites. So those of you fans of William Hartnell... There's lots still, of commentary. Still our two earliest Hartnell stories. Uh, yeah. to, to the two earliest stories that we've done full stop. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So lots of commentary there. We're getting the shorts that we did for TikTok. Those are all up on YouTube now. People are loving the uh, Doctor Who plot summaries, as we very uh, clinically call them on YouTube. Mm. But it's the TLDWs. TLD. Yep. And uh, the Two Doctors one's kind of going a little bit viral. It's pretty. Uh, it's got I hundreds and hundreds that. of views. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which uh, so so that one was going viral. There was a two doctors TikTok. Uh, uh, well, we we'll, we should probably get yeah. into the TikTok. Uh, Let's but get into the TikTok. We should also mention briefly if you're not bored of looking at our faces and all of the wonderful Easter eggs that we have hidden in the background, like the the <laughs> Cyberman I see behind Pete with a Doctor Who. You hat got on to. It. You got to. You got to do it. You got to do it. Um, then uh, you you know if you didn't catch all the Easter eggs first time on Spotify on uh, YouTube, you can watch them on Spotify because we're on Spotify mm-hmm. video podcasts. Yes, which indeed. Is always weird when I want to listen to the show in the car and there suddenly are our, are our faces appearing on my phone screen. It's very <laughs> on your weird. Dashboard that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, you just be like, hmm, what's with that pimple? <laughs> Bam! That would be a great story of, you know, death of a podcaster. Like, just too distracted by watching my own video podcast. Oh, just, just too uh, vain. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, TikTok. TikTok is continuing to grow. We are now at 7,600 followers. Pew, 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 pew. And as Chris just said, most recently we uploaded some videos around the two doctors, including our TLDW, a three-minute TLDW, which there aren't that many of. Mm. And uh, as ever, we have a TikTok comment of the week. And this is a comment on one of those videos. It's about the one with... Uh, I think it's a little bit of commentary mostly for me about the two doctors not really working as a multi-doctor story. And one of our followers uh, with the handle 10 Sullivan, 10 Sullivan says, I ain't seen the two doctors recently, but I think it could be interesting for a story where two doctors are present, but don't interact much. Uh, And uh I kind of wanted to revisit this a bit because I'm not, I don't want to contradict myself 
<laughs> because I do think my point was was good, a good one about sort of the the what sort of essential components of a multi doctor story there is. But I do want to give more uh, lip service and maybe even a little more than lip service to the other perspective, which is like, well, the doctor's a time traveler, and if you think about it, he kind of should be running into himself all the time. Yeah, and it, you know, it's okay for that not to be epic. You know, you could do it hmm. in kind of an interesting way that doesn't have to have super high stakes and have a massive come together moment at the end. Like not everything needs to be journey's end. And that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I love the idea of the two doctors, you know, two random regenerations just running into each other and they're like, oh, it must be a Tuesday, you know? Yeah. Uh, and they, uh, they've done this here and there sort of an extra media, right? Like um, there's, uh, I, I, well, big finish, I guess the Sirens of Time was, when they've done multi-doctor, it's usually mm, kind of mm, epic, mm. but um, Time Crash, if you remember, mm. which is kind of just the fifth doctor and the tenth doctor having kind right. of a delightful and, and uh, interaction with a bit of a breaking of the fourth wall moment that right. everyone Children actually really special. like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it it works, you know. It's it's fine. You know, they just kind of get together, solve their immediate problem, and wave goodbye. Yeah, and it's just it's fan service up the wazoo. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> That's what you do. Um, Is it so everything it, these days, though? Indeed. So actually, the I noticed the most popular of our two doctors uh, TikToks was. Um, the one talking about Patrick Troughton using Peter Davison's console, mm -hmm. uh, which is it just goes to show we we who fans love to nerd out about the interior of the TARDIS almost more than anything else. Yeah, <laughs> and just to, just almost like not to turn this into the sequel to the Two Doctors podcast, but if you think about it, they they sort of have their own out in that episode because. Uh, Patrick Troughton points at his console and says there's something new there, right? Mm. And so you could argue, well, maybe the whole console is new. Maybe maybe the Time Lords came in and did a whole bunch of modifications for this. And then, you know, whether it's you go for season 6B or it was just a memory erasure, like essentially they went in, sent in some Gallifreyan technicians and took all that stuff out. Mm. I, I love the idea. One of the commenters mentioned that it could be just like a desktop glitching. Um, ah. And you could definitely write that in as like, oh, well, it's because he's getting too close to Colin Baker's TARDIS. Like that his that means right. his own desktop is glitching and it's updated to Peter Davison's. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that this is a show that... Uh, you know, is so sort of uh, cheap and sprawling <laughs> and, you know, without its own kind of internal canon keeper that you have all these opportunities for, for us, the fans, to go in and do what we do best, which is headcanon. Yeah. Um, and and we find something so satisfying. Like, oh, desktop glitching. Perfect. Just stick it in there <laughs> retroactively. Um all right, so yeah, head that's the if they could isolate the part of the brain where we store <laughs> and process head cannon, I would guarantee Doctor Who fans have the biggest I, chunk of yes, brain. Yes, I fully <laughs> expect that to happen, either in the world of uh, genetics or MRI studies. You know, within the next ten or twenty years, like we'll have some some Gen Z researchers going and looking, and where in the brain is responsible for head cannon. <laughs> it's got to be somewhere very neocortexy, right? Like right at the front there. You be see awesome. the vein bulging. Well, when that paper comes out, I'll, I'll love to upload it into the little socket at the back of my head. Because then <laughs> we'll have those by that, like a little Johnny sure. Mnemonic thing. 
Oh, so well. moving on to some other business. Mm. Oh, by the way, you can follow us on TikTok at mm. Pull to Open. Just that yeah. at Pull to Open. You don't um, even need the sixty-three. Don't even need it. Uh, which we are on Twitter and Instagram, by the way. Indeed. But other business. So we're recording this in the middle of September. So we're about a month away uh, from the centenary special for the BBC. And so that's going to be the big, uh, it seems, Jodie Whittaker regeneration episode, Jodie Whittaker's last full adventure. And uh, with some guest stars, as we know, we know Ace and Tegan are back. Uh, Mm -hmm. Others may probably are back. Um, so that's that's happening soon. I don't think there's much new to discuss there, but we are excited. They, they haven't officially announced a date yet, have they? I don't think so. I think they've all they've said yeah. is October. I think it, it's basically confirmed. It will be October. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are speculated October 16th, but as of this recording, uh, we which they might have announced it by the time you hear this. But yeah. uh, given what I know about the BBC, I, I'm betting no. Let, let's let me just insert a comment of like, yeah, I knew they would announce it for that date. <laughs> um, whatever, whatever it is, whatever you who fans know about the centenary special or right that, yeah, yep, yeah, that's that yeah. sounds about right. That sounds Insert like date here. I, I could do some editing. <laughs> I can always reupload. Uh, so, so there's that. Yeah. Speaking of Great Britain and yes. institutions in Great Britain, uh, obviously there was some really big news this past week with passing of queen elizabeth ii indeed yes what a what a surprise that was to many people i mean not not a surprise that a 96 year old woman would die but that uh, yeah we we all just thought she was she would go on forever she was an institution uh in so many ways and she was a doctor who institution mm-hmm. and we should we should definitely take a moment to uh to mention the the episodes that the queen has featured in um Right. We've done one of them, the Idiot's Lantern. We we noted mm-hmm. that we went to the Idiot's Lantern right after uh Philip had died. And mm-hmm. uh we we thought, well, maybe this is the only uh, in fact it is the only uh episode to feature stock footage of Philip. So that was weird. Hold on, you uh, now you're you're getting it the other way wrong, right? Because oh. you said in this is you said it was the only episode in The Lie of the Land. Right. Oh so now, yeah. Remember, yeah, yeah. and then it was like, oh, that was surprises in the eighties. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, now, yeah, you, right. now you've la- erased your memory of. I've erased my own land. memory. <laughs> I've erased it's my two. own memory. And it's not really uh, footage. You're kind of <laughs> accurate in that it's not footage in Lila. It's just a photograph. Yes, just but, a photograph. Yes. Revisionist history. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's he's uh, he's in there. She's definitely in in both. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in Lie of the Land. She's in. Idiot's Lantern, because it revolves around her coronation. And there's probably more stock footage and photos here and there that we're just not thinking of right now, mm. I would imagine, just because it's the queen. And But as a character in the show, uh, albeit like one just in passing, uh, the queen has been, the queen as a character has been in there, obviously not the queen, but... Um, <laughs> so far as we know. There, there are two episodes, and I think these are the only ones where you kind of quickly see the Queen really briefly. And the first one is mm. Silver Nemesis. I don't remember that. When when is she in that? It's early on. Uh, I think it's in episode one. And essentially, mm. they're they're getting ready for uh, the Nemesis statue. And the Doctor knows something bad's going to happen. And I, are they at Windsor Castle? And someone is approaching... And the doctor is basically saying, like, I'll just pretend we own the place. And mm-hmm. Ace kind of knows, because I think she could hear the corgis with her, that, 
Uh, I think we have to hide, Doctor. I don't think she's going to believe that we own the place. <laughs> and so they I hide. I love it. I love that line. And mm. she just this the queen essentially just walks by, you know, and it, that's that's right, scene. That's it. that's it. But then we have Voyage of the Damned in the new yes. show, which is where she is very definitely a character waving mm. at the Doctor as uh, the uh, the giant Titanic spaceship is diverted at the last minute from Buckingham Palace. And even better, and in such character, I think, with the actual queen, she was resolutely staying in Buckingham Palace in London mm. Mm. throughout Christmas because in this, in the Doctor Who universe, Londoners know to go to their house in the country, yes. close up shop, because <laughs> something bad is going to go down on Christmas Day. Yeah, and you don't want to be in London when it happens. Yeah, the Titanic is heading for us, so everyone get on the train. Um, I love that idea. That does mean, technically, that Turn Left would have been the first story to feature the Queen's death. Oh. Oh, okay, yes. Right? Because oh they, yeah, you do, I don't yeah that makes sense. That is the the, the event yeah. that changes everything is that the Titanic does actually smash into Buckingham. If, if you don't count Inferno, right? Where right. It's, it's a parallel universe. So That's really right. Count. Yes, we we do learn that they were the royal family was killed in Inferno. So right. So QE two has been killed twice on on Doctor Who, uh, mm. and actually, if you count Battlefield, three times. Uh, and it's, right. this is why it's kind of spooky that we went to Battlefield so recently, in which one of the things that tells you that it's in the 1990s, which was then the near future, um, is that there is a king. There is a brief mm. mention of a king, which, uh, as I was mentioning to you, Pete, just before we went on air, there's there's so much British science fiction that does this. Like it's one of the easy tropes to sort of signal. We're in the near future. Things have changed just slightly. And yeah, it will be, you know, some character mentions the king or you see right. the king on the currency. All right. Something like that. I, I got to say, I, something I've never quite picked up on as a trend. I don't know why. Maybe I just it speaks to how I don't pay quite close enough attention to <laughs> things probably outside of Doctor Who. But it does make sense. And I, I, I never, this is maybe just naive of me, but I never quite read the brigadier's line that literally you know even though i think yeah, what, it was what is the actual line in battlefield he, he basically said, says i don't care if it's the king calling yes and i almost kind of felt like does he mean like it figuratively in a but i guess that why not just say the queen right so yeah yeah exactly uh, so it's what you would do as as a brit that means that means there's there's no more queen right uh if if you say i don't care if it's the king calling um, but yeah, that is something that uh, you know uh, she she died on Thursday. King Charles the Third acceded to the throne at the exact same time. Uh, I actually spent a lot of my week at Mashable writing about the history of the King Charles name and the the fact that he was nearly decided to call himself George at one point, and you know he could have he could have chosen Arthur was an option, like he could have been King Arthur. It's another interesting <laughs> reason for us to have gone to Battlefield recently. Yeah. Definitely a little bit scared of the randomizer again. He um, should not have done it. He made the right call. I he did make he the right call no. becoming King Charles III. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, it's funny that, of course, we are adjusting this week to saying things like God Save the King mm. and thinking about, oh, we're going to see the king on the money, including the Canadian money, right? Yeah. 
Uh, By the way, UK and Canadian governments, really all governments in the Commonwealth, if you need like a place to send the old money, (laughs) just give us a message in one of our DMs. We'll we'll find uh, we'll give it a good home. Yeah, exactly. We'll we'll store we'll we'll store it in safekeeping for you. But yeah, yeah. I if you were to say I don't care, it's the queen. If it's the queen herself calling, uh, you know, if that's right. a phrase in your lexicon, you'd have to update it. So, you know, if there is a unit brigadier out there, uh, time to update your references, sir. And I guess that's kind of Adam. depending how much you think Doctor Who resembles the real world. It does this mean Battlefield is actually set in 2022, 2023? Right, because <laughs> right? we were trying to puzzle that out when we uh, did battlefield like the, the the there are clues like a glass of water costs five pounds which <laughs> you know i, I know guess if you're the, buying the glass itself <laughs> the pound is plummeting against the dollar so uh it's entirely possible it will be by the end of this podcast um but yeah so so there we have it there we have it the the pull to open randomizer knows all sees all in advance mm-hmm. um it is terrifying and we all bow down before it Indeed. Um, well, rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth. Um, and I'm glad you weren't converted to a Cyberman, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, for, and for next and week, any... we should probably figure out if there are any Doctor Who episodes with Prince, now King Charles, in them uh, or mentioned in them other than Battlefield. Um, yeah, that's true. I, I can't think of any kind of honestly mm. offhand. So um, something for RTD to insert. In, in the uh, next season, the first Charles reference. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. He's, I'm sure he's doing some corrections right now. Um, <laughs> but my clumsy joke about the Cybermen was an attempt at transitioning, which uh, <laughs> no disrespect meant to for Marinus. Um Yes, and speaking who, of Cybermen, be, yes, speaking before, of Cybermen, she will be returning as a Cyberman uh, once Missy unleashes post-funeral <laughs> the Cyber Queen. Uh, Yes, sorry. Yes, perhaps. Sorry. Apologies, Roy. We're going too far now. Uh, <laughs> but I was trying to get to, there's one other bit of business, which yes. is that uh, I felt apt to talk about it since we're about to talk a Cyberman episode. There is an account on Twitter called Cybus Industries, and it's essentially this pro-Cyberman account where the, the, you'll just go see it. It's basically taking the Cyberman as sort of a human invention, that upgrading to a cyber suit is like this common thing that's cool or whatever. It's it's funny. Uh, mm. I like some of the they use it with some to combine with some biting political humor um, that works sometimes and you know sometimes doesn't. But you know I'm really glad they're trying it. And I thought this was initially. I got to admit I, I thought this might have been part of like the BBC, like yeah. there was a sort of stealth campaign and or Russell T Davies was getting something. He's like a big showman, but Everything else, everything about this thing, and honestly, I haven't no. I don't think anyone's confirmed either way. But everything about this Twitter account and associated things, because there's some YouTube videos and stuff, suggests it's a fan account, right? Because yes. there's just things they're doing that are like, okay, you know, you you wouldn't say that if you were actually part of the BBC. So, I, but it I is love fun. it. I love it. the The actual account is Cybus Indus on Twitter. Ah, Cybusindustries.org. It's that's not how they actually, got it. It's not actually the first Cybus Industries account. If you Google it, that's that is at Cybermen Delete, which is just random cyber facts. But this is a whole mm-hmm. thing, and they're sticking with it, and they're bringing in current events. They've got a 
a cyber Liz Truss now there on the uh, uh, on the Twitter account <laughs> at Cyber Sinders. Liz Truss, of course, uh, the other new arrival in the UK, the new Prime Minister. Um, and I got to say, doesn't she look tired? Um, no. Good reason for conversion. Yeah, uh, good reason for conversion. I love the Cyber Sinders account because the bio is say no to weak, woke, and wasteful emotions upgrade today. And there's so much of this, like, you know, don't don't want to be woke. Don't want to, you know, worry about this, uh, all of the problems of the modern world. We can just convert you. It's cool. Yeah. And I, I actually like, like, it's funny because it's like, we don't have to get into Rise of the Cybermen, but mm. this does feel a little bit like, um, oh God, who's the guy? Lumic. Lumic's plan. Like, this is, this yeah. is what he's selling the world on in a sense. I mean, he knows he has to keep it secret and stuff, but it is, it is just so silly. Like, uh to see what is essentially the Cyberman's position, which yes. is that, hey, everything's way better if you just convert yourself and then just just kind of see it like, oh, yeah, nah. <laughs> yeah, the, and they're all based on real just, ads or real UK yeah. ads. Like, there's a great one of, like, say goodbye to your wardrobe. Uh, we understand that fast fashion is unsustainable. Save the planet and your bank balance. Just a couple more reasons to upgrade today. Uh, I'm looking at that tweet going, yeah, you know, clothes. Getting rid of clothes, that's... <sighs> Definitely an advantage to getting converted. No more I mean, decisions you, about what to wear. You know, you'll be identical. You know, Cybermen <laughs> will remove all this complexity. And it's, they, they do. I mean, it's, it's their thing. Yeah. And um, that is really, I mean, you know, you, you got to say that the most uh, obvious cyber episode in terms of showing what the, the Cybermen were supposed to be a reflection of our world is the, uh, uh, was it the Age of Steel, the first one where they go in the, the sideways universe? You know, the, the Bluetooth headsets in everyone's head. Yeah. Uh, like that mm -hmm. was so yep. of its time, right? The the idea of like, oh, we take this one Bluetooth headset everyone's wearing, stick another one in, suddenly everyone's Cybermen <laughs> and waiting. Well, arguably ahead of, well, we should get into it because we got yeah, another we Cybermen episode to talk about, but certainly ahead of its time since AirPods, and I think they actually called that maybe, <laughs> yes. the EarPods, that's what they EarPods, yeah. But that mm -hmm. Apple actually took that name uh, for their, their wired. Anyway, we, we'll get into it then, <laughs> but it is funny. Like it's kind of ahead of its time. Apple is but, definitely upgrading us. Yes. I'm going to stop stalling willingly yes, right time. now because it is time. Chris, what is the time for? It is time, <laughs> Pete, and I'm stalling for you, is TLDW. It's time for TLDW. Mm. Too long Doctor Who, too long didn't watch. Um, I think it's definitely in this case a too long didn't watch uh, <laughs> kind of thing. Whoa. Revenge of the Cybermen, not really Whoa. well known. I mean, you know, we'll get into its various merits, but it's got to be said that uh, the, the average fan is like just you know uh, mm. it, it doesn't have a great reputation it doesn't uh we'll get into it we'll get into it i'm not going to reveal my final rating until the end mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm excited to talk about it though and i'm actually excited to do tldw because i think i've got this one chris i think i, I yeah. think i've kind of jinxed myself here and I've, there might be a rabbit hole I accidentally overlooked and we'll go down but I, I think I remember the last one I did was Battlefield, and I was so nervous because it's such a mess. But this one, yeah, I think it's I got simple. it. You think you got yeah. it? You have the advantage of being a cyber fan, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know that's Actually, definitely probably a disadvantage because I kind of want to get into like individual <laughs> things whenever I talk about the Cybermen. You know, like I want to go down the rabbit hole, but I've really got to keep it straight. So little Cyberman action in this, right? That you can just sort of focus on that and it definitely won't mm -hmm. take up the two minutes because two minutes is how long you have 
We should mention right. that we, we allot 30 seconds per classic series episode. Okay. Um, I'm going to close all my notes, all my windows. Yep. Can't even and see the Zencaster anymore. Yes, if you're watching on video, Pete's room has gone dark because there are no bright white windows shining in his face. <laughs> um, so it's time. You have two minutes, sir. Uh, I'm right. going to start my stopwatch. Uh, when I when I count down to one, and you will have right. two minutes. Quick swig to of water. Summarize. Yeah, drink some water. Get mm-hmm. ready for this. All uh, right. To summarize the four episodes of Revenge of the Cybermen, extra points for explaining what the hell they're revenging. Um, and your <laughs> oh, wow. time. Now you just you did <laughs> too much. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Made it harder. Sorry. Uh, all right. Two minutes starting in three, two, one. Go. Okay, the Doctor, Sarah, and Harry all materialize uh, on board Nerva Beacon, which is the space station they were on in the Ark in space, but they came from the time ring because they're just coming from Genesis of the Daleks. But anyway, they're there, and they uh, it's actually centuries before that episode, and uh, what they realize, everyone on board the space station's dead and sort of lying around, and so they what they quickly realize is that even though the people there, there's only three remaining crew members, that they think it was a plague. It's not. These people were actually killed by poison from a Cybermats, these little things they, that the Cybermen use that jump on people and then inject them with poison. So what happens is one guy dies from this, and then uh, Sarah actually gets bitten by a Cybermat. So the doctor uh, tries to beam her down to the planet, but it's been sabotaged by one of the people on board. He's actually working for the Cybermen, it seems. And she, somehow the doctor succeeds in repairing the transmat temporarily, cures Sarah, but now the Cybermen are on the move and they actually come to dock with the station and they come and they uh, put render the doctor and the remaining crewmen uh, uh, unconscious. Uh, the guy who uh, betrayed those people to the Cybermen goes down to Voga, but he's actually working for the Vogans. His name's Kelman and the Vogans have a rocket. So they've lured the Cybermen here with the promise of destroying this little planet, which is by the way, the beacon is orbiting this planet. It's not a planet. It's actually a moon. It's called Voga, but it's actually the remains of a planet, which was the planet they used in the cyber war because it's full of gold and gold kills the Cybermen. Seconds. They're very weak. So the Cybermen send the Doctor and these other guys down to blow up Voga with these bombs and they're going to detonate by remote control. But they figure out how to uh, get them off by because they blow up the Cybermen who have been down to kill the Vogans and grab their control thing and they take the bombs off. But Sarah's gone back to the beacon to rescue the Doctor. The Doctor goes back to get her. The Cybermen rig a, a bunch of bombs on the beacon, capture the Doctor and Sarah, and they're going to blow them all up by running into Voga. But... They break free and they prevent that from happening. And the missile from the Vogans instead hits the Cybermen's ship. And then they oh. save everybody and they go off in the TARDIS. And I didn't quite do it. It's like oh. 205 or 210. Ah. So close. I wanted to get too many details in there. I did. I did. It worked against me. You know, I was like, really I, was, did. I was overconfident. I wanted to jam it all in. And I think I, I, I had too many things jammed in. I think when, one when too we. Many things. If I left one, one too many out, things. If you'd <clears> only not named the, the bad guy. Kelman. Double agent Kelman, yeah, yeah. That, that that could have shaved vital seconds off. Yeah, um, but you were very I close. Okay. I did okay. I mean, I you got, did okay. Got virtually you did okay. all of it. I mean, yeah. it is you know, it is a problem. To be fair, it is a, a problem when the stories are such a mess like this. And we should say right out of the gate, the immediate problem of the fact that the uh, Vogans are sitting on a planetoid full of uh, gold. We're going right to this, are we? We're going right to this. I mean, it just sort of it's it's the one plot hole that kind of literally tears the whole story apart it's like you pull on this thread the whole story unravels 
The Bogans are sitting on gold. Gold kills Cybermen. Why can they not defend themselves against the Cybermen? Right. Yeah, it's it's massive. This is the cyber bomb plot hole in the <laughs> dead center of this plot. It, it kind of ruins the whole story. So I watch all these as many as I can anyway with my kids. Mm. And mm-hmm. we, we actually had a ball watching Revenge of the Cybermen. My kids like the Cybermen. I obviously love the Cybermen. So we were into it. There's a lot of suspense in the first couple episodes because you don't see much Cybermen and then you see them a lot. So, you know, there, there was a lot to enjoy about this episode that I want to get into. But even even my kids are like, wait a minute, like, just use gold. Like, I can imagine, like, when did this broadcast in 1975 or something? Yeah. How many kids were jumping up and down in front of their TV? What's the get problem? Some, get some gold bullets. Get some of the dust. Like, And it is funny because Doctor Who in the 70s, certainly up till now, this is Baker's first season. Uh, in in so many of the Pertwee episodes, like they're, they're all about the resources, right? They're all about energy resources. It's all about yeah. mining and using your own resources. That's behind Inferno. It's a, behind Claws of Access. Uh, you know, it's behind the Green Death. Like there's so much concern about energy and where are your resources and tapping them and using them. And here we have the ultimate resource story. <laughs> it's like the gold not only is the security uh, on on Vogan, so terrible that they they lock you up in gold chains. Right, <laughs> uh, gold being a soft metal and therefore easy, as Harry notes and Sarah almost ignores. Uh, very easy to escape your gold chains with a bit of rock. Yeah, um, uh, yeah so it's just weird. It's like they make thing. the chains out of gold, but not the bullets. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it's almost like gold is the only element. It's the only metal on Voga, and they, yeah. for whatever reason, just decided to start using rubber bullets or something. But, um, I, yeah, it, it just, it, it, I don't know how much you want to just rant about it, but I mean, it's, it just makes That's no sense. And I, I kind of wonder, like, what happened in the writer's room or the writer, director, producer. Now, there were rewrites, right? So, yes, get into it a bit. Jerry Davis wrote the story, and uh, Jerry Davis, co inventor of the Cybermen. Yeah, with Kit Peddler and mm. um, uh, who was Robert Holmes, obviously. Yeah, Robert Holmes. Bob, Bob did. Holmes did a rewrite. Yeah. And yet nobody caught this, or if they caught it, they kind of glossed over it. And all I can think of is that these are intelligent people. They must have seen it mm. and just glossed it over. Like it's the fifth story. And granted, they they did gen- they filmed Genesis after, but you, yeah. you're on a you're on a schedule, obviously, if you're when you're making a show like Doctor Who. It's like they just just didn't have time. They were just like, well, hopefully <laughs> people don't notice. Well, we noticed, guys. And we didn't just notice as super fans 40 years later, 50 years later. We noticed then. Like this this story really didn't didn't work uh for mm. that reason. So Yeah, so let's talk about gold. Uh, because it is now you, you can't ignore it after Revenge of the Cybermen, right? Mm-hmm. It is the first mention, if I'm correct, of, of Yes, this is the first of, time you hear about gold is the Cyberman's kryptonite. Now, does it, I'm not much of a metallurgist myself, but does it make sense what they say? It makes no (laughs) sense. (laughs) Gold, I mean, one of the great things about gold, obviously, is that it, you could do anything to it, it remains gold. Not Mm. everything, but I mean, gold is a very, like, stable um, element. I thought you were going to tell me the great thing about gold is you can make it from lead. (laughs) <laughs> well <laughs> just the right chemical process well give it, give it some time um <laughs> but it's that it doesn't react with things like it, it's yeah. doesn't really become 
another thing uh if you if you do things to it so it's chemistry corner everyone uh you know like i mean that's <laughs> i'm sure chemists out there are like could you could you please be a little more scientific <laughs> yeah, yeah please write in chemists when We're you do things you. To it. but it's just not very reactive so it's like uh, like what's what happens in the cyberman's chest unit that a, a gold a piece of gold dust would even do anything like how is that even mm. possible you know um so that said it's doctor who i'm not going to give it too harsh uh, a judgment to be a little bit ascientific i mean that's kind of the beauty of it in some ways like the science is just what they say it is and mm. does it work for the story uh here it totally doesn't because of what we just said though um i do think there's there are well there's one other episode where i think the gold weakness works just one and it's earthshock because mm. they they use it not in this overt way and they in in a physical sense you get the sense that um it's used properly cuz you know when you're a kid you kind of think it's literally kryptonite and that say i had a gold knife or whatever i that would penetrate cyberman armor or whatever mm. and then as a kid you might think that's kind of cool but i mean that doesn't that just makes no physical sense right and when they get to silver nemesis and they're like shooting gold coins at the cyberman and that's killing them that gets absurd right because they're just like wait yeah. a minute like it's a how, what's actually happening there like when when the when the coin hits it wouldn't it just bounce off i mean that doesn't that just doesn't work it's interesting that you should mention coins because the original version of the script apparently uh that uh that jerry davis turned in was um set in a sort of an intergalactic casino it was kind of doctor mm. who meets casino royale and this, and it was going to be like a Marie Celeste casino where, like, where is everyone? Instantly, by and the way, the plague. yeah, yeah. Well, instantly, by the way, much more interesting uh, a setting than the yeah. nervous station, um, and and sort of getting very ahead of itself, right? That that sounds almost like a new Who episode to set it in a casino. Um, you know, it sort mm. of makes me think of Time Heist and stuff like that where it just sort of kind of feels updated and a bit more james bondy well it definitely um, would have been more ambitious i mean they mm. reused the set from the ark in space for budgetary reasons mm. uh but it was in a very planned way so they always had wanted to come back around in another story which is why they did them out of order obviously they shot this mm. right after ark in space and the um they built the set in such a way that it's very 3d you know, yeah. you, you can look through a doorway and you will see, um, for example, when you're in the trans transmat, you can see the hallway. And that's really there, right? They didn't just put that in. They, they simply built the set that way, which mm. I thought was very smart. So basically, they spent more than they would have or did a more elaborate job on the set in the first place because they knew they were going to use it more. But I got to say, even within the Doctor Who universe, does it really make sense that a space station was used for thousands of years like yeah that it was never decommissioned or just destroyed. i mean the, the idea is wonderfully updated in bad wolf parting of the ways right right uh it, the idea that that's the same setting as what was it earlier in that season the, the long the peg episode yes so love i love that rtd kind of basically returned to this idea but did it so much better. Right. And at least right. it was like 70 years, which was believable. Yeah, It was something like much more like, okay, but like the solar flares are supposedly like 10, thousands, if not mm -hmm. tens of thousands of years in the future. And 
that Nerva Beacon, I don't know, maybe it was the pinnacle of space station building technology at the time. It was like, okay, awesome. That's now right. We'll, just, we'll keep using this and reusing it until uh, and, you know, some and indefinite it staffed, <laughs> staffed entirely by white men um, <laughs> the whole well, time. Uh, because it's the 70s. Like uh, many, but, like many <laughs> spacecraft in Doctor Who. So you mentioned Earthshock, uh, right. and that's a good uh, segue to the fact that this is the only cyber episode between what the invasion yeah. is the is the Troughton episode with Cybermen. Not only that, this is the first color episode to feature the Cybermen. Now you don't. Right. Not, this has to not count Carnival of Monsters, of course, which is yes. A, you know. Carnival of Monsters we went to recently. Another reason for the randomizer to bring us here. We'll get to all the reasons later. Um, but ra- another reason for the randomizer to bring us here. We were recently at Carnival of Monsters, the only Pertwee story to feature a Cyberman right. in which he is simply dismissed. The Cyberman is simply dismissed as a blob in a snowstorm hmm. uh, and moved very quickly on from. And that is the only Pertwee episode to feature any any Cyberman character, the, we mentioned that the actor who played the Cyberman in that Blob in the Snowstorm scene uh, has made a lot of play at conventions, Doctor Who conventions, out of being the only Pertwee Cyberman. <laughs> uh, and now we have the only Baker Cyberman, which I right. uh, did not know until we came here, that like there was such a dearth of cyber stories in the 70s. Yeah, uh, this is it. I mean, they wanted to bring them back in kind of, I guess, sort of epic fashion. Mm. I don't know if it was epic, but basically they were like, oh, there's an opportunity to bring back the Cybermen, particularly since we're doing kind of an epic Dalek episode. Um, I think this is a common thing you want. That's tempting to do anyway with new doctors. It's like, oh, new doctor, old villains very quickly kind of establishes them as the resident Time Lord in chief. Well, this this uh, this story was a holdover from the Barry Letts era. Right. Which was the Pertwee era, basically. And I believe it was the success of Day of the Daleks. Or mm. was it Death to the Daleks? One of those might have a, been Death to the Daleks. That was the last one. Death to the was Daleks a, was they, yeah, they the last They had season. a very, very successful Dalek episode, a Dalek story. And at that point, apparently, Barry Letts was like, okay, let's, you know, let's commission a, uh, a cyber story for the new Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, at the point it was commissioned, they didn't really know. I think they knew it was Tom Baker. They didn't know how he was going to play right. the Doctor. So Jerry Davis kind of wrote this for Patrick Troughton's Doctor, weirdly enough. Another interesting reason to come here straight from the two Doctors. Uh, hmm. That he guess... wrote it as sort of a timid kind of Patrick yeah. Troughton-style Doctor because nobody knew Tom Baker's approach. So there was a lot of rewriting on the fly. Yeah. Well, I think to to the writers and Baker's credit, I think one of the better things about this episode is Tom Baker and how he sort of takes command early on and then has some good lines later. Uh, But it is funny that the Dalek Cybermen one-two punch, when they do it, almost always the Cybermen punch is way weaker (laughs) than the Dalek punch because they did sort of a similar thing in season 25 when they did Remembrance of the Daleks and Silver Nemesis yeah. in the same season. And, you know, the Dalek episode is just loads better than the Cyberman one. And that's also the case here. So it's sort of like, you know, these yeah. if you're going to do it, like do one. Just pick one, guys. Either, then... either pick one or pick both in the same story. Well, um, that's Doomsday. Doomsday, yes. Yes, 
which is definitely a good way to do it. Definitely just the exception to the rule. Yeah, totally. Just have them face off to each other. But yeah, it's like it's it's a masterclass in what not to do when you put it right next to Genesis of the Daleks, right? Mm-hmm. Genesis of the Daleks took the Daleks and introduced them in a whole new way, made them even scarier by surrounding them with people who don't know what they are. Yeah. And here we have Avros. Yes, yeah. and introduced Avros. Uh and uh And here Michael- we get a Cyberman with a black helmet. Yeah, I know. It was so funny when you said, like, this is the first color Cyberman episode. I'm like, they really went to town in using color by giving the cyber leader a black helmet. Oh, my God. It's, it's I love, so by funny. The way, you, you've got that black yeah. cap on the Cyberman in the background. I do. And that's a little bit of celebration of the doctor's line, one of the better lines in the whole story, where he says, that's the end of Cyberman, except for gold plated souvenirs. And people use his hat stands. And. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gold plated, but it is. Use it as a headstand. He is so just wonderfully dismissive of the Cybermen in this episode. It's like it's Lobbin so a snowstorm plus. I really like his his lines there and how he sort of even riles up the cyber leader. And we can talk about sort of the emotional performance of the cyber leader mm. in this, which is it's a it's very I would say incongruous <laughs> with what the cyber leader is supposed to be, although I could see why they did it. Uh, but man, Tom Baker really just takes command uh, really very does. early on in this. And unfortunately, again, the script, I think, has issues. And besides the big plot hole that we mentioned, one of the other ones is that the people are stupid. <laughs> in particular, <laughs> the the crew of Nerva Beacon. I mean, yes. the, the doctor is constantly hand-holding them to obvious conclusions that the audience came to. Uh, minutes you know not at the beginning of the episode yeah. and so like hey, you must point... have a traitor among your ranks what no and it's way. like what what disease comes on you so quickly that you can't even tell anyone mm-hmm. uh what happened to you uh that that just seems yeah. very weird what disease involves two vampire-like puncture wounds in your neck right and he's like <laughs> oh and it also destroys radio tape it's like and scuffs on the floor and admittedly maybe those are doctory things to notice mm. but it is like surely they're like you didn't think of any, and you also didn't think to use the transmat once, even when you thought it was a plague, <laughs> to try to fix it. Like the transmat uh, apparently cures the disease, which is how yeah. he saves Sarah Jane's life. Now, if it were that easy, yeah, it's just like so many plot holes. It like was was there no doctor on the station who's like, wait a minute, this man isn't dead of the plague. He's got. Uh, <laughs> He's got uh-huh. puncture wounds in his neck. I, like the pathologist needs to be fired here. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe the... they just like have hickey parties like every Saturday night at this station. There's just a lot of <laughs> weird contact that, oh, that's just from the party. You know, Maybe last there's night. just sort of an unknown uh, war with the vampires going on in the background, which brings us back to, you know, State of Decay. And the, the vast undeclared Time Lord vampire war. Right. Well, <laughs> this actually gives me an idea of where the Clara Splinter is now, now Ooh. that we're, we're talking about it. Um, yeah. Oh, bring but, it while you remember it, because you'll never oh, just remember mostly the that she's, the she's the incompetent pathologist. It's not as crazy <laughs> as the, she's deliberately like, well, I don't know. It's got to be a plague, guys. No, no, no. It's not poison. Plague. Definitely plague. Yeah. I mean, it's sort <laughs> just of just to make the doctor if... <laughs> look good later. <laughs> Maybe they've got a doctor on the station who's like really into conspiracy theories. <laughs> well, there's also the bit not to you know hammer on the crew, the crew too much, but it is like that we've just the doc the doctor said 
Kelman's working for the Cybermen. He's just mm-hmm. shown you cyber mats, and then a yes. ship starts coming toward the Nerva Beacon, not contacting them. And the the, the commander goes, "Who are they? Who could these people be in this ship <laughs> this coming out of our... And it's like, guys, keep up. Yeah, the Cybermen, you couldn't really think up a worse reintroduction to the Cybermen, who had not been on screen on this point for, what, eight years since the right. invasion? Um, seven years. Well, uh, let's, let's, I, 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 the story as itself, I, I tend to agree, but I do like that they, they keep you waiting. Like they, yeah. you have to wait two full episodes before you're actually seeing like real cyber action. But and the doctor they, they, kind of gives the game away by, in, by saying it's cyber. Yeah. Well, so does the title. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> and you do see them like for, I think one brief scene when he, the, the, I think, I don't think there's even a line. I think the cyber leader just points at the console, mm. which kind of brings up like, how did they even know he did that? <laughs> they were looking at him, but um then, then they have. It is a good cliffhanger, I got to say, when the Cybermen yeah. sort of burst on to the the beacon, and they're essentially ignoring being shot at, and they just zap the uh, the crew and and the doctor and, and the like, doctor, okay. yeah. and then say resistance has been overcome. Yeah, um, good cliffhanger. Yeah, it's good. It's not quite as good as the Sarah one. I got to say, the episode one cliffhanger I thought was my favorite because Sarah mm. gets. We've already seen the effect of this thing, and Sarah getting bitten. Uh, you, you really are kind of like, oh no! Like, I, I, I don't want Liz Sladen to suffer, even if they I do know. help her. I was know? thinking it would have been an even better cliffhanger if they just cut it like a minute or so later when you start to see that glowing uh, yeah. scar on her face. That's actually kind of scary. It's a really good effect now. It's a combination of makeup and uh, what, what do they call it? It's like makeup and CSO or something. Yeah, like that. I think they what they I think they what they do is they give coat it with something and then they put sort of a light ring around the camera that right the the thing will reflect it. Um, it's a really I, good effect. It really holds up. And if you just held the cliffhanger on her face glowing like that, like that would have been much scarier, I think, than you know Sarah takes a hit from the Cybermat yeah. and she's on the on the floor. Oh no! Like just let's actually see the damage. Um, totally. because that's, 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 yeah, much, but much I, I think the, the peril with Sarah at the beginning of episode two makes that episode, uh, really tense and actually goes by really quick. I remember when mm. I was sitting with my kids and Jack was like, well, that was, that felt really short, you know, but you're really like kind of on the edge of your seat as she's dying in Harry's arms and the doctor, like they, they do a good job plot wise of throwing in another complication. Like Kelman's also sabotaged the transmat. And so he can't, even if his thing works, it can't work. And then there's all these lines like, oh, you know, I, I can't wire that. There's no time to wire this in. I've got to hold it. And, you know, he's like, you do this and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, my God, like, she, she should be dead by now because the last guy died in this time. And, yep. and then, you know, they beam her down. And, of course, it works. Uh, it does. But then the thing blows up in the doctor's face, which is kind of cool. And also it's like, oh, well, he can't use that again. So, you know, it, the, the plot at this point is kind of working. You know, like it's yeah. it's like okay, yeah, this is this is kind of cool action story kind of stuff, and yeah. they're pulling yeah. it off. Still prefer the casino idea, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it totally works. What do you think, by the way, of the of the cyber costumes? Uh, because they are sort of interestingly poised between the crinkly foil wrap Earthshock Cybermen right. and the Invasion Cybermen with the smooth bodies. Yeah, uh, it's sort of a halfway house costume, right? 
Yeah, it's not bad. I think um, I, I definitely prefer the Earthshock Cybermen, but I do kind of like the sort of implied bulkiness of these ones. And I think it has to do with mm. the, the sort of cables and the handlebars have these little ridges to them, which looks honestly a little bit like vacuum cleaner cord. Um, <laughs> and it might have actually been, come to think of it, like yeah, given the budget say, of the show. 50-50 chance. <laughs> um but I, I think because it's thick, you kind of get this bigger sort of imposing version and feeling from the Cybermen. Um, so I, I think it's okay. It is very 70s, I got to say. It does mm. almost look like they're like um, wearing bell bottoms <laughs> as they're, they're kind of <laughs> also like on their even They're on very their glam. The glam yeah. Cybermen. Yeah. But I do like sort of the things that invite headcanon, which is that they have these chest units. Um, mm. that are, I think, very similar to the initial ones, but they're, instead of handheld weapons, they have weapons in their heads, and they clearly use their chest units as actual control panels. And I like that tactile feel of the Cybermen. These are sort of more down-to-earth uh, villains and monsters, and you you can just, they they show you what they do, and you don't have to sort of reason out some uh, I don't know, with, with with a lot of omnipotent style aliens, you, you're never quite sure how they're doing things. I with mm. I like that the Cybermen is like, oh, I get it. You know, they, they're mechanical and they're doing mechanical right. things. It's There it is. Yeah. yeah, I actually like the, you know, as much as I'm poking fun of the idea of like, this is the first color Cyberman story and the Cyber leader has a black helmet. I actually really liked, I kind of found it kind of spooky. Like, the you know, the voice is no good. The acting is not particularly great. A mm. cyber leader, not as bad as the uh, cyber leader with a bit too much midriff, midriff in uh, Attack of the Cyber, <laughs> the Colin Baker story that we saw. Oh um, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. With with that, Less said about that his the helmet, his helmet was terrible. Uh, but this one was a little spooky, and I don't know if it's because of Legopolis. And uh, we went to Legopolis recently in Polter Open history, uh, but also, as I mentioned, then Legopolis is one of one of my favorite stories of all time. I keep returning to it, not necessarily because of the story, but the mood of it, right? And the cyber leader is one of the first images right. that we get, and it's from this story. And maybe I just, because I hadn't seen Revenge of the Cybermen as a kid, I was like, what? A Cyberman with a black helmet? That's kind of weird and spooky, and it's somehow connected to, you know, like it must have been some terrible villain that the doctor encountered you get all sorts of headcanon from it right um, yeah you do and i think uh, i like the cyber leaders throughout the mm. years this one is not my favorite but mm. this sort of introduces the concept of the cyber leader um but i do take i think you had said on an earlier podcast that the fear the, the how the cybermen work it's almost better that they're this sort of collective force in this automated process that sort of just happens to you if if you're a human and you know you get converted into one of them um but at the same time the doctor needs to talk to somebody right and not just some disembodied borg voice um what they do here is i think it starts out working but then mm -hmm. you know there's just there's literally just too much emotion you know there's mm -hmm. there's like you, there's there's times when the cybermen are alone and they're saying orders and it's not um, interesting. So they've clearly like amped up, you know, there's a point where the cyber leader starts talking about how good it is that they're going to destroy Voga. 
and taking some weird satisfaction in it, which does this imply the Cybermen are more emotional than they think they are? Or is it just that the writers just couldn't think of anything better to throw in there? Hating gold is an emotion, people. Also, if you destroy Voga, don't you just basically spit gold dust throughout the cosmos? thus making it more hazardous for Cybermen. Yeah, but I, I imagine it'd be, well, I don't know. I guess you could invent something to harvest it somehow, but I, I guess it would just be harder to harvest. Hey, and speaking of that, like, what is with Voga being tiny and having mm. gravity? Like, none of this is ever explained. Like, Voga is small, and it's a moon. And by the look of it, it looks like it's one of the smaller moons because it's, like, not even that spherical, I think, in some of the images they show of it. And you can mm. you can apparently get to the core of the planet in like fourteen minutes mm-hmm. after you beam down. And I don't, you know, I, I, you could argue, well, maybe the transmat was deep down or whatever. But like the scale of this, it just makes zero sense. You know, it's I, this is a little nitpicky, I admit. But yeah, you, they're, they're, the problem is, even if you say like, well, this, this, and this accounts for that, the thing it doesn't account for is when. Uh, I forget the lieutenant of the crew's name, but uh, I think it's Lester or something. But he sets off his bomb. And the Cybermen have explicitly said earlier, two of these bombs will destroy the planet. We're sending three to be sure. Right. What He sets off the bomb and it barely does anything. Yeah. It doesn't even bring the cavern down. I mean, it does a little bit, but I mean, like, it should be down, down. Like, it should be like, no more cavern. Um, yeah. And if, if, they, if they're sending in three human bombs... Uh, to make sure that, you know, because they can't actually send a cyber force down to the planet. Well, first of all, that's contradicted right? Uh, previously, but also contradicted by the fact that they send two cybermen down with them. Um, arguably, it's the core, right? So they d- he ah, does say, okay. like, because the core, he says at one point, the cyber leader, the yeah. core of Voga is almost pure gold, and gold is hostile to our function. So, right. yes, they can go down to sort of the surface or just below the surface, but they can't go to the core. So that's why yeah, they didn't should be just a little, a little sign so they do, saying they no, do kind no of Cybermen beyond this point. <laughs> and they do kind of explain, I mean, again, this it still makes no sense, but there is hmm. a throwaway line, which I actually didn't even catch until this time I watched it. Uh, my son oh. Jack pointed it out, hmm. where the doctor says about the Vogans defending themselves against the Cybermen, if only they knew about their weakness, hmm. right? Like, he said, So they do try to gloss over it uh, in some way. Um, it basically says if only they knew about their, their use of gold and the captain's, oh, you mean as a weapon, blah, blah, blah. So um, the problem is it's like it contradicts all the history that they've just said, which is like, okay, so Earth had the resources of Voga mm. to build the glitter gun. So you, you, you kind of have to believe like, well, so Earth made a deal with Voga, didn't tell them what the gold was for. <laughs> the glitter gun, by the way, has to be the most 70s science fiction weapon <laughs> ever invented. I love it. I want to see it. I so uh, want to see the glitter gun. That right? would be amazing. I, I kind of like, I think there's been a lot of speculation about exactly what a glitter gun is. And it might've actually even been uh, popped up in like big finish or a novel or something. But how do those work? Are you shooting like essentially like paint pellets? Like it's like a paint pellet gun, except it's full do, of gold dust, know, I assume. Do you know who's going to be the perfect showrunner to reintroduce the glitter gun? <laughs> is it RTD? It's got to be RTD. Come on. Come on. Come on, RTD. You know you want a glitter gun. You know you want to see it. I want to see Shuti Gatwa sporting like a gold outfit as he brandishes a glitter gun 
you know. I, I want to see Neil Patrick Harris Ooh. as a villain with a glitter gun. That, <laughs> oh my God. And it just shoots like rainbow glitter. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I've seen actually Neil Patrick Harris. I saw him at the Matrix, the latest Matrix movie premiere, wearing this fantastic glittery rainbow nice. outfit and looking like he'd just been shot cool. by a glitter gun. So I'm like, that. that's the perfect outfit. That's awesome. Make it happen. Make it happen, RTD. The episode Cyber Rave. (laughs) Rave of the Cybermen. (laughs) Rave of the Cybermen. That's so an RTD title. Uh, (laughs) Come on, we got to see it. We got to see it. I'm going to write it now. Um, Yeah, going to do some fanfic. Um, All right, so we should. We've talked about the Cybermen. We should talk about the Vogans, which uh, yeah, what do you think of the Vogans? Kind of being terrible masks, right? Here's the thing. I thought they were kind of okay. I mean, okay. again, I think yeah. you got to go, you got to adjust for classic who. Mm. And, uh, I, I think they're interesting. You know, they, they, I, I gotta say, here's, I'm just going to brand against another franchise for a second. Do it. I always thought with Star Trek, the next generation, where they would essentially give different races, different nose ridges, every week to designate another alien race. It's kind of a cop-out. You know, it's kind of like, oh, come on, at least try. Try to do some insect thing. Try to do some reptile thing. Give us something. And Doctor Who went for it on less than half the budget, probably a tenth of the budget, uh, if not less. And, and uh, you know, they kind of, it kind of gets pulled off for the most part. I felt like the, the, the mask slash makeup of the Vogans mostly works Yes, their eyes and their foreheads don't don't move as much as you want, um, but I get the look they're going for. It's kind of like this Easter Island almost statue mm. that's you're well, talking one, to. One um, of them seems to have two sets of eyes. Like the the Vogan leader is it? I can't remember. Is it Tyrum or Vo- Tyrum? Tyrum's the leader. He seems to have four eyes. Like mm. a, he's got a ridge that looks like another. Now that would have been wonderful. That's one of the scariest things about the Davros mask, right? Is the extra eye right. in the middle of the forehead. And it's you just need that one little tweak. It's like pointy ears. Like one little tweak can make someone look very alien. Yeah. You know, nose ridge doesn't always do it, but <laughs> <laughs> forehead ridges maybe. Like you just need that little tweak. And the idea of them having four if they all had that, that would have been very interesting. That would have made them much more notable characters. Um, mm. It is interesting, by the way, that we came here from Carnival of Monsters, which yeah. kind of inoculated us to the idea of Michael Wisher wearing a bad mask. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> he's here say, again. Yeah. The functionary masks in Carnival of Monsters, like, have mm. seen how like that's bad masks, all right? Like yes. that's one I'm happy to slam. Yeah, um, but this is definitely a, a, a measurably better than that, and the actors definitely give it their all. Now, there's there's criticism of this episode where. It, it, they are a bit sort of shouty Shakespearean. And I think hmm. that setup of the sort of formal military versus the minors, um, although the costumes are pretty good in terms of delineating that. Um, and just the overall, like our destiny, like it's, it's big shouty Shakespearean dialogue, which may, it <laughs> takes you a little bit out of it, I'll admit. But a lot of episodes do that. You know, right. to be fair, like and watching it through twenty first century eyes, you're always like, why, why, you know, why are these posh men shouting at each other? Yeah, like that's <laughs> that's the question that comes out of half of classic Who. Uh, are they are they just trying to out posh each other? What what exactly is going on here? Well, I still yeah. feel like the actor who plays Tyrum, mm. I think at times feels a little constricted by it, and his he's 
sometimes a little more muted than he should be. It might be just the voice, mm. but he does seem to utter out like, oh, you know, like things that should have more gravitas, like, oh, you, we're all going to die now, Boris, thanks to you. <laughs> so there, there are a number of sort of improbable stories that have been attached to Revenge of the Cybermen. And, all, you know, if, if John Pertwee were telling them at a convention, you'd be like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is it, it really? Did that really happen, John? Um, <laughs> but one of them is the fact that... So so all, a lot of the sequences on Virgo were shot in Wookie Hole. Right. Which is <laughs> great a name. famous set of caves. Great name. I've been there. It's in uh, Somerset, I believe. Uh, you know, ancient cave system goes back at least 5,000 years in terms of human habitation. Did Peter um, Mayhew ever visit? <laughs> Wookie Hell. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's spelled exactly the same. Not not to segue into how Star Wars conquered the universe, but I actually talked for that book to Bill Wookie, the guy who gave his name oh. to the line that was randomly recorded by one of the voice artists who work on Star Wars. Uh, who was just asked to come in for THX one one three eight and record some lines, and one of them was, "I think I ran over Wookie back there," uh, which George Lucas is like, "Why did you say that? That's a wonderful name. I'm going to use that in you know my next movie or my next movie, but one right? Wow. Um, Maybe he's a descendant of who the caves were named after. Maybe it's all it's, time. It's together. entirely possible. But yeah, it was Bill Wookie. He's a he's a tall, hairy guy. Amazing. Um, but yeah, so Wookiee Hole Caves, there were all these things that made them worried about, like there's this superstition about the rocks in the cave that mm-hmm. looked like a witch. And one of the crew was like, you know, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we put a witch's hat on the set of rocks? And <laughs> it, it's amazing how much of the the Hoovian history that you read around this, you know, the, the, uh, the geeks and the nerds and the experts have written around this, who sort of take it for granted that there was this curse. In, right in Wookie Hole caves that resulted well, from this. Yeah, because they did that thing with the the hat or the cloak or whatever, and then there's lots mm. of bad things started happening to the production. Apparently, there was yeah. a bit of a rock fall, or someone broke their leg and something. And there was this weird thing where I guess Liz Sladen was on a one of the boats there. Yeah, and it just like took off and it just went out of control, and she had to jump into the yeah. water. Uh, nearly like you know, nearly took her head off. I guess going under like a. a a small like a, a low bridge yeah so. and she's treading water in those combat boots which could right. not be easy uh and and it, another interesting reason for the randomizer to bring us here so close to battlefield right because that happened to ace uh ah. in, in the filming of battlefield remember the uh the tank mm-hmm, uh, totally. with the crack in it uh, companions kind of, that's yeah, the connection <laughs> kind of a so so the other, let me get, before I forget, the other very improbable story that sounds like a John Pertwee story from a convention is the fact that Roger Moore was involved <laughs> in yes. this. Roger Moore brought the, is it's the hairbrush, right? Yeah, I think so. At one point, yeah, Kelman is seen right. using a very 1970s hairbrush. I think my dad had one of those hairbrushes. Um, and it's it's got a transmitter in the back. Now, as much as it looks like someone hollowed out a hairbrush and did this for, you know, 50p as a special effect, this was actually from Live and Let Die, mm, yeah. the Roger Moore Bond movie, uh, which is amazing, first of all, <laughs> such a cheap prop was used in a Bond movie. Um, but he actually walks into the BBC mm. and sells it to them. <laughs> Roger Moore himself. Roger Moore himself. Under the prop. Just, he was. He said yeah. that he was expecting to just sort of like hand it over, no. but then 
like they don't recognize that he's Roger Moore and they give him money. <laughs> Specifically two shillings and sixpence, which yeah. makes me doubtful about this story because that that is pre-decimal coinage, mm. which came in in 1971. Ah. The story is 1975. So maybe he sold it like way beforehand. Interesting. Uh, Right. Or he's sort of misremembering how much he was given for it. But that well, does I, make me wonder. I just hope he gave that six six and two pence to UNICEF after. Because, <laughs> come on, man, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need that. Exactly. He's like, well, and quids in, yeah. as, as the British say, goes down the Shepherd's Bush pub. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's a weird, it's a crazy story. I want it to be true. Yeah. Um, but, you know. <laughs> Either way, just, <laughs> he should have just stuck around, man. Become a Vogan, like just stuck a rubber mask on for an ap- afternoon. I gotta It'd be say, much more interesting. Kelman is like this is a trope of the Cybermen, right? There's always yeah. someone who is betraying the human race to the Cybermen for whatever reason. Um, I yeah, gotta Kelman's say, though, a bit Roger Moore himself. Yeah. Kelman feels like the worst of the lot just because of the sheer <laughs> body count. <laughs> Because, uh, you know, there's a Ringway and Earthshock and, you know, mm. various others here and there. And, uh, yeah, people die, but it's like uh, you can kind of like in your head if you're justifying it. Oh, there's only a few. But Kelman like kills a whole space station. And, yeah. yes, he's technically working for the Vogans, but he's still killing a bunch of people to lure the Cybermen and destroy them. So I don't know why the Cybermen are so important to destroying Kelman's world. And I kind of wish they had explained that a little better, that maybe he was really burned right. by the Cybermen, or, which doesn't make sense, right? Because in the history, the, the the commander even says Cybermen died out centuries ago. Like, I think he yeah. literally says centuries. So there's no way Kelman was alive for it. But uh, most people live a long time in the future, who knows? Uh, but yeah, his whole, what what's Kelman about? He never has a moment to, to really give you that. And then before... Uh, he gets a chance. He's dead. It's just Isn't like, it almost the same plot as like Attack of the Cybermen with with Lytton, Right? Turns out to be a right. double agent, double agent of the Cybermen working against the Cybermen. Right. So they've recycled the plot there. But Lytton is also a very similar character. The sort of you know charismatic posh guy who turns out to be a double agent. Yeah, and you never quite. I don't think you ever quite get a full on what Lytton, Lytton's about moment, no. but there's more there in yeah. the performance. I think Morris Calderon in that episode, yeah, I definitely was a little more sympathetic to him and and what he was doing. Uh, here, Kelman, you're just like, dude, you're kind of like, well, kind of a let's douche. talk about Kelman and the, the way that so he, you know, Kelman is doing the classic villain thing of like, you can't prove nothing, copper, yeah. you've got nothing on me. Um, and the doctor, he only, the doctor only gets the truth out of him that Kelman's been hiding this essential piece of equipment that he's the saboteur, uh, by sicking a cybermat on him, mm. which is so unusual to see Tom Baker's doctor do, right? right? We've talked a lot about how Colin Baker's doctor and Sylvester McCoy's doctor went a little darker in what they were prepared to do, a little Machiavellian, but yeah. this is like... And like you know, he adds the mad toothy grin as he sicks a cybermat on Kelman. Talks about how horribly he's going to die, mm-hmm. and I think it's just because he adds the grin that we don't really realize how dark that moment is. Yeah, it's dark for sure. I, I, I this think is not not what we expect from the Doctor, right? It's not. Um, would he have done it? Do you think he would have done it? And then because he needs the transmat to work to he- heal him, but it mm. comes on so quickly. Does 
would Kelman have even had enough time to tell him where that I forget what the component's called, but wherever yeah, it I mean, is. The doctor is clearly bluffing, but also yeah. even we as the audience totally believe it. It mm-hmm. may have something to do with the fact that Tom Baker was still very new in the role at this point, still mm-hmm. figuring out who his doctor was. And he's clearly decided, well, this guy's a bit mad. You know, or maybe he's just playing his <laughs> playing him as well, Tom there's Baker. Also the, 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 what you might call the Capaldi factor of like, yeah. my companions mean so much to me and my friendships mean so much to mm. me that I'm willing to up these stakes mm-hmm. considerably to make sure they're okay. And yes. that definitely played out with Capaldi and uh, Derek Coleman. Yeah, so, yeah, you do sort of get yeah. get Dr. Clara vibes when he's reunited with Sarah Jane. Yeah, because if you think about it, he doesn't even know if Sarah's okay at this yeah. point. And he, yeah. you know, he's got to find out. So, yeah, I think I think it's a good moment. Uh, it is definitely a dark moment, but I I would not have wanted them to nerf that moment and use a <laughs> use my son's term. Yes, <laughs> to to make it less. I don't know. How would you define to nerf as a verb? <laughs> to nerf to make it um, kid friendly. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. To pull your punch deliberately pull so as punch, not to make yourself to. Yeah. 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 Yeah, totally. it, it's so, interesting. You know, we, we we definitely get our hackles up when the doctor threatens someone with a gun, right? Which is yeah. what Colin Baker did at several points. And yeah, Capaldi and Tom, did. Tom Baker does at some point. We'll get to it. Yeah, uh, but, but maybe he he just gets away with it because it's Tom Baker. Because if you add the mad toothy grin, you're like, well, maybe he's true. not serious. Yeah, maybe it's all bluffs, and maybe it always was. So he yeah. can get away with it. Yeah. So what did what you do, think of how Harry is portrayed here? Because I gotta say, oh. like that is, I feel like they cross a line here with Harry. Because up till now, he's kind of just been, and I, we haven't done all of those episodes, but mm. he's been, you know, fairly competent guy along for the ride i guess but in this episode he seems to evolve into a sort of a full-on buffoon and he's kind of like especially the last couple of episodes he causes the rock fall um he's trying to take off the doctor's thing even his performance there he's like oh and then he's updating everybody just sort of offhandedly says like and kelman he's dead by the way (laughs) like (laughs) i laughed out loud with my kids at that like uh harry what what did you become like a goofball (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he has quite a few goofball moments. He doesn't even believe that the TARDIS is going to arrive. Right. Which is yeah. weird. Like, he's just been through time in a time ring, which he wants to hang on to, by the way. And he's joking uh, with Sarah about how much he's, you know, going to buy with all this gold that he gets, and he's going to have yeah. a solid gold stethoscope. Um, yeah, he has this little dream of setting up a practice in the country and having a solid gold stethoscope he, with he all kinda, the gold that he's stealing. Yeah, and then he's like talking to the Vogans like he's in Monty Python. Like I felt like he was almost <laughs> like a Monty Python character who'd wandered into Doctor Who. Yeah. And that was just that's a weird choice on either his part or the or the writer director's part. Uh but I do kind of feel like, okay, this this feels so out of place, like Either this guy needs to change or he needs to go. And they obviously chose to him to go after. For him to go, yeah. Right. And, and I hadn't remembered that it, it, it is the next story, uh, Terror of the Zygons, where, where Harry leaves, right? He does. And I think he is sort of briefly back in uh, the Android invasion along with the unit. And I think right, that's quite right. a, sort of the last we see of them uh, ever until until they bring back the Brigadier. Right. But this is pretty, yeah, this is one of Harry Sullivan's swan songs. And it is curious. I mean, I did not know that at some point in this, uh, towards the end, Tom Baker 
basically, you know, it's the point where Harry has like, it's the cliffhanger at the end of episode three. Harry almost accidentally sets off the bomb on the doctor's, uh, on the doctor's chest because he doesn't know what it is. And then when uh, the doctor learns this, he yells through the cavern, Harry Sullivan is an imbecile. (laughs) Now, can you imagine him doing that with any other character? Maybe Mickey Smith? Yeah, I don't know, but it, like it would have to be a character set up, be set up as that much of a doofus. I know. Yeah, it's unusual. It, I mean, it? if you, it kind of depends on the character, but like, it would just seem cruel with Donna, Rose mm. Tyler. Forget it. Well, I mean, it's there's a different dynamic, and maybe this is just the sort of sexual dynamic, which is that a a, a man saying that about a woman would just not work. I think in any context, right. in some ways um you know fair or not uh but you, you the, can't imagine like peter davison shouting turlo is an idiot right yeah yeah it is it is yeah it's an odd choice i don't know it's it it definitely is a memorable line hmm. it's it's a funny moment uh but again it, it sort of fuels this thing like what is harry even doing here like, yeah except making it worse yeah yeah <laughs> so it is so that that does sort of segue segue us into we haven't talked about a lot about tom baker's performance in this yeah uh, on it a little is, bit, but yeah he is easily and i think you mentioned this he is easily the best thing about yeah. revenge of the cybermen he, he is so watchable and we talked about this in genesis of like this is the apex of tom baker's doctor well he's it's really like trying he, here like yeah. this is his first season like yeah. Um, He's still establishing who the Doctor is. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of a little bit of a kind of a cool rebel thing going on where he just like walks through the story like he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And and it's so cool. It really works. Like, you know, and he's just like his scarf's everywhere. He doesn't even care if he runs in it and trips. Like, you know, later on the scarf would be much more manageable. But here it's dragging around his feet. And there's one point where he <laughs> runs over to you know, one of the uh, members of the station that's just collapsed of the plague. And you're like, careful, doctor. Wow, that's... <laughs> right. It's almost like a tie your shoelaces, young man moment. Um, yeah, I talked but, about yeah. the scene with He's... the cyber leader in episode three, which has some yeah. of Baker's most memorable lines. I mean, calling hmm. them a pathetic bunch of tin skull- soldiers skulking about the galaxy in an ancient spaceship. Uh, yeah. A little contrived, if, sure, but it's a great line. If I was the cyber leader, I'd be like, fair point. <laughs> you, you just totally destroyed us. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, but we're it's, gonna. You're right, Doctor. We should. It's a total a mic drop. Like it's a mic drop. Yo, Mama moment. You know, it's just like you cannot cannot come back from that. You can't front on that cyber leader. Yeah, yeah, and he kind of like um, he actually gets like emotional. Like the cyber leader is like clearly irritated. Like he does yeah. illogical things. Like he walks up to the Doctor <laughs> and starts just kind of like intimidating him physically. Um, which again, there might be some logic to that. And like this prisoner is sort of getting out of hand, but then he sort of throws yeah. him against where the bombs are clearly not thinking, Oh wait, probably giving him an opportunity that. to pick one up. Yeah. yeah. So it turns uh, into like, not only am I insulting you, I've just, now I've turned the tables. Yeah. Um, all of the, all of the emotional Cybermen stuff was, was introduced apparently in dialogue by, by Robert Holmes, Holmes. I, yeah, it seems when he way. did his rewrite and, and Jerry Davis was not happy about a lot of these things, but yeah, the opportunity that it gives Baker to come out with some really great lines, some real snark on the Cybermen, mm-hmm. it is, it's almost worth 
uh, you know, I, I don't think that this is a great story, obviously, but it's almost <laughs> worth watching and just fast forwarding to all the Baker moments because he's just so good. Well, he's at even, the height yeah. of his powers. And it's throughout, too. I mean, the, even the Harry Sullivan line, that is a good Baker line as mm. much as it destroys Harry and <laughs> he can't come mm. back from that either, <laughs> which is kind of like, I guess that's to, uh, the fourth doctor's pattern here. He's just like, oh, everybody else is stupid. I'm awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if you're. <laughs> everyone should just go home after this one except for liz uh but he actually saves when he saves sarah at the end he does mm. it in this kind of playful way uh with you know the the little whistling with her and the yeah. she's tied up and stuff which is funny and there's actually a little moment i, I never caught this before liz sladen nearly slips up and she says top you know like she, oh, she almost I didn't says catch that. Tom. And not doctor. Wow. It's definitely a. T- it's definitely like t- Like it's it's uh, shock doctor. <laughs> so that's that was left in, but all that's good. Um, and then there's the whole biggest bag in history line, which that is a great line <laughs> and a great almost Douglas Adams s dialogue there, which we right. talked before on the show about how Robert how similar Robert Holmes and Douglas Adams are. As, as sort of comedy sci-fi writers there's this great like she says we're heading for the biggest bang in history and he's like well no i don't think so. we can just oh dear they've they've locked the controls so what does that mean we're heading for the biggest bang in history <laughs> apparently and that the was timing on 30 that. or something because they kept cracking up yeah. i'd say like you know <laughs> when you're on set and the nerves are high every everyone's 12 you know that's just what happens <laughs> and they just kept cracking up at the biggest bang in history biggest bang in history uh, there is actually a douglas adams line uh, about eccentric Columbus, the um uh, triple-breasted sex worker we should upgrade her title uh of erotic on six uh who was described as the biggest bang since the big one Mm. <laughs> um, so very very similar to this line uh, but yeah it's 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 a beautiful doctor moment uh that there is we should update the science let's have a quick astronomy corner uh, yeah. because the doctor says at one point oh there there are now 13 moons of jupiter uh well sorry doctor there are there are what 50 oh god 60? at least i think if you count every piece of rock going around mm. jupiter it's like well into the 70s or 80s there's something yeah. like, I think, in terms of what we have named moons, I think it's like about 60 now. And it's just one of those things that is so unfortunate because it's like they didn't need to put in a number. Mm. Um, now, that said, you could explain around it in a number of different ways. I'm sure they have in whatever story. And you could easily just say, hey, he was just talking about the major ones like yeah. <laughs> Io, Ganymede, etc. cetera. Uh, but you didn't really well, need it. Maybe the doctor is working from really inaccurate old encyclopedias. <laughs> that's his thing you know we we know from the tardis that he likes to read paper books yeah. um you know he's got a whole shelf of them in the capaldi era right the books everywhere and you know tom baker doctor loves his cvs receipts maybe he's just toting around you know growing up we in my family house we had an encyclopedia that i didn't realize for many years was from the 1920s oh, <laughs> so wow. a lot of the information in it was very inaccurate like radiation is good for you, so go ahead and drink those isotopes as much as you want. Yes. <laughs> the entry on this, this weird Adolf Hitler chappy, uh, you know, who's now it's really uniting Germany, apparently. <laughs> um, 
too dark. Yes. Uh, too, um, never, never <laughs> soon enough. Not way always too soon. I don't know. There was something, something wrong with that. So, so yes. One thing I do want to talk about is the music in this mm. episode, which uh, was a score by Carrie Blyton. And it's interesting we talked about Death of the Daleks because he also did the score in that one. He also did mm. the score in Doctor Who and the Silurians. We haven't done either of those for the podcast. Um, but uh, it's really notable. This he has such a distinct musical style, which my son would term real instruments when he heard it. And both of my kids mm. remarked on the music, mm. and they really, really liked it because it's like mm. these horns and these these uh, uh, percussion that's you know very like tap 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 tap, and like it 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 was it's very it's very unusual. Yes, it, mm. it's at times intrusive. Uh, I'll give it that, but I. I actually really like the music in Revenge of the Cybermen, particularly, I think, Carrie Blyton's style was very good for the Cybermen themselves. And that little mm -hmm. sort of, you know, sort of bass metallic tones when they first walk into the station, mm -hmm. it's it's really, in some ways, the original Cybermarch, right? Like the Cybermen, you always kind of want, they're much more conducive to their sort of musical cues than the Daleks. And every, I think every Cybermen episode since this one and I, I actually haven't seen the invasion and others in a long time. Maybe it's there too, but I certainly since revenge on there is this sort of cyber March type music in every single Cyberman episode. And I think they're the mm -hmm. better for it. So uh, what did you think of that? And, and the music? I, you know, the music kind of drifted over me, uh, to be honest, I, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to it. I was glad that it, it, it didn't interrupt too much. Uh, there's one point where there's sort of an interesting use of horns that, you know, that kind of came to the fore of my awareness. Um, yeah, like, nee, yeah, nee, it's, it's nee, not nee, nee. <laughs> like, the, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Especially it's with not, the spaceship exteriors. You know, it's very kind of spooky, spacey music. Indeed. I mean, not spooky, but spacey. It is. It is. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the sort of the, the, the bar that you have to leap in 70s Doctor Who is like not to make it to sound too out-of-date synthy uh, right definitely definitely succeeds here definitely holds up um what about we we should mention uh since we've done the music we should talk a little bit about the set design mm -hmm. and the fact that the vogans use the seal of rassilon oh yeah i almost forgot about this i'm glad you brought it up yes yeah. this is and it's just first because appearance. it was yeah so we have been to um to the deadly assassin mm -hmm. And, and commented on the fact then, I think, during that podcast, that they were reusing the Gallifreyan seal that's seen everywhere from Revenge of the Cybermen. So, yeah, yet, yet another reason for the randomizer to bring us here. But also so bizarre now when you look back and see that the Vogans, like, you know, you have to somehow fit this into our headcanon, right? The Vogans are using the Time Lord symbology. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Pete, I bet you know better than I do whether this has been... <laughs> rectified in any you know attendant media any books any big finish audio anything like that you know it probably has i don't have immediate knowledge of that but i do okay. know it was acknowledged in the discontinuity guide and there mm. was speculation about this being a recognition of voga's importance to sort of the galaxy and the cosmos which if you think mm. about it um because the Cybermen, uh, we, we should actually, you, I should transition this into sort of a bit of a discussion on cyber history. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Pete's history corner, future history <laughs> corner. Um, but 
because the Cybermen matter so much to the cosmos that the Time Lords took an interest in this and had some kind of contact with the Vogans, which might explain why their memories are a little weird on Cybermen weaknesses. Uh, it might. I, I actually would love a simple explanation sometimes for these things. Maybe they just both sort of independently thought this was just a cool symbol. <laughs> and they're just, yeah. there's nothing more to it than that. They're just like, oh, you know, it's kind of a yin and yang done a little differently. And yeah, yeah two people well, can independently come up with that. That's fine. Again, an opportunity for RTD. If he's thinking of bringing the Time Lords back in any way, maybe we can have a throw in a line about everyone's copying our symbols or or <laughs> a wonderful way to do it would be just like a throw away line about the uh, Time Lord copyright police. Uh, mm. going going around the galaxy making sure that other races aren't using the symbol of wrestling <laughs> well maybe it's kind of like remember that star trek episode where everyone looks human and they tried to explain it maybe this is kind of like <laughs> like this is this like in other words voga isn't the only planet with mm. the seal somewhere which mm. recognizes that some sort of time lord monkeying around with with history um mm. and maybe that's mm. sort of how they could communicate that maybe, maybe there was long ago a, a time yeah. war with the cybermen and Ooh. They, they they've used the vogans influence their history in order to make sure that there was a planet full of gold that um, i really like yeah. wow we just came up with it guys this, there we go. this should be the explanation because that transitions nicely to what i wanted to say about cyber history so chronologies in the original classic who which mm. um you know, prior to New Who and the alternate universe Cybermen and all the stuff they did with Silver Nemesis and stuff. Sorry, I meant uh, Nightmare and Silver. Um, would would treat this as like the last Cybermen entry in cyber history, right? Like basically there were mm. a lot of chronologists that said like, this is the last of the Cybermen and they die in this episode and that's it. Because you mm. never really hear about the Cybermen in far future history when the Daleks mm. are clearly like sort of the force to be reckoned with. Mm. And that was sort of the norm. Again, New Who has kind of contradicted this because it's talked about whole galaxies that had to be destroyed because of the Cybermen and, um, you know, the, the the newer versions of them that people create. And uh, so uh, like people like Missy and stuff. But um, mm. the thing is, just thematically with the Cybermen, uh, a lot of their stories talk about sort of a final band like they're desperate right whether it's silver nemesis whether it's this story whether it's attack of the cybermen even earth shock these the cybermen are always sort of doing some last ditch effort to survive yeah same in the timeless children right or whatever it was that preceded that yeah so it's kind of an interesting thing to think about like do the cybermen work uh outside of that because there, there's a question of like you never quite hear about their empire. Again, New Who is a bit notwithstanding because you, we heard, heard about the 12th Cyber Legion or whatever, uh, which again, Moffat would do throwaway things with all the, mm. the marquee monsters. Um, but I, I, I feel like with the Cybermen, with this style of story where they're either desperately fighting for survival or are sort of a genesis, small number of them that want to rapidly expand into a large number of them, uh, I feel like that adds to the tension and the stakes for these episodes. And they tend to be, you know, feel like almost like submarine movies, right? They're a little claustrophobic. There's mm. the, the, the chess pieces are clear, which is why, you know, again, mm -hmm. the plot of this is pretty straightforward. And I think they're good villains when they're used that way. And I think this yeah. is a good template for it. Um, but that's, that's sort of where I'm sort of taking the whole cyber history 
of this that's implied and then sort of working back into sort of coloring a picture of like how the Cybermen work best as monsters I, and who. You know, this this is this is an area where like I I love chronology and I love future histories and you know, I, I have the the whole Star Trek future history on my shelf. When it comes to who and I, I know you, you've you've uh, you've pointed me towards a history in the past. There's just so much of it, and yeah. uh, you know, I, I guess if you if you're sort of zeroing in on one area, oh, you have a history right there, awesome. Uh, one of the volumes, one of the many volumes. <laughs> like you could devote an entire lifetime to the entire chronology of of Doctor Who and all of its monsters. You like, you really have mm. to just zero in on one aspect of its history. And I, I can barely keep it straight, keep it straight with the Daleks history, you know, let alone the Cybermen. It's, it's so constantly altered. You know, we talked about this uh, with some of our previous Dalek episodes, that Dalek history is sort of all over the place. And did it get rewritten with Genesis? You know, um, mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff going on that I just, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, it's weird. I'm kind of clueless in an area that I, as a historian, I love future history. I love chronology. And and with who chronology is just so confused yeah. and so you know contradictory within itself that it washes over me. Well, and it also like you should always throw it out for a good story. And <laughs> I, I completely yeah. defend that. I do think the stuff they did in Whitaker's era, which I, I barely acknowledged, um, was not a good story, right? So I I, I don't really like that far future version of the Cybermen, where mm. both the Cybermen and humans have sort of essentially fought each other to extinction to a standstill. yeah yeah uh yeah not just standstill to extinction <laughs> like they're, they're, <laughs> they're completely both of them are completely wiped out uh this is whitaker explicitly says this and it's like we fought each uh, other to the number of extras that we can afford yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> so it's all it's kind of like big and doctor who uh in in that sense but it just it doesn't doesn't quite hold up and then it's hmm. kind of contradicted a little bit and just so it's immediately in flux but we'll get to that when we get to it hmm. um but i do think there is something more interesting about the cybermen when there are only a few of them yeah. um and and they they have uh, designs to like build on that there's definitely like dreamers the cybermen right because even the even the cyber leader in this one is like we have enough parts in our ship to build a whole army so no problem even though there's only five of us (laughs) if we wanted to we could have an army (laughs) anytime we wanted honest uh yeah Uh, it did it did give me um closing time vibes in that sense right like that's another one spaceship last of the cybermen just just desperate broken trying to do something but you sort of you got to have some sort of conversion in there if you're going to have a yeah. Swarm, right? And I mentioned this before. You never really get it in the classic series until Attack. Mm. Uh, yeah. You get it a little bit again early on. Tenth Planet obviously introduces the concept. Tomb of the Cybermen does a little bit, but yeah, there's not that that signature thing that they do of like converting people. I, I wish mm. they had done it more in Classic Who, but um, definitely plenty of it in New Who. So indeed. So, so is it time? It's time. With so four questions. To Doomsday. Yes. We shall question four times. So we've talked about this a little bit, but I think we just need to settle on one. Why did the randomizer take us here? <laughs> well, we've noted that the randomizer's ability to uh, bunch up stories, it's kind of nice to come here while Genesis of the Daleks is still fresh in our memories. Um, 
the uh, the the randomizer also does love to play with my love of TARDIS episodes, mm. um, and of course this is another almost entirely TARDIS free episode um, where the the TARDIS is apparently just like it does almost does a ghost monument kind of thing here, right? It's just like showing up on its own schedule. Yeah, and, exactly. And the Doctor has complete faith in it, like you know that his his faithful TARDIS will show up at some point. Yeah, uh, so there's that aspect to it. Um, yeah, I think it's also just sort of coming to us with a whole lot of ineffective villains right now. Like with Battlefield, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about the issue there. Uh, the two Doctors, the Andrigams, were problematic for a lot of ways. Uh, and Spearhead, like the Autons in that are not, they're, they're still pretty scary, but it's it's all this question of like, how do you how do you create scary villains on on a very limited budget that the randomizer yeah. seems to be very interested in right now and it's showing us like a lot of bad examples <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe you know spearhead was one good example of how you handle it with the autons with a limited number of actors yeah um, i get all that you, know, you I suggest think, it um early on in our travels before we'd done any cyberman episodes i requested some and then we That's again we, i've said we We've now done four. And I feel like it's getting around to like, really? You want Cyberman episode? Okay, I'm going to give you revenge. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do something with that. You'll never ask also, for a Cyberman episode again. But honestly, like, it's gotten me to um, appreciate revenge maybe even more than I did before. Yeah. Uh, even though it's uh, <laughs> it's got problems. Revenge, revenge gets a bad rap because, oh. in, in many ways, it gets a bad rap because it was the very first VHS released by the BBC. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Of Doctor Who. And it, it was only released because what people actually wanted was two of the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And I guess some BBC executives was like, what did you say? Something of the Cybermen? <laughs> uh, tomb? Well, no, we don't have that one. Here's ha- have revenge. It's, it's basically the same. <laughs> it's basically the title. Same. Yeah, exactly. Good. What do you want? That's all you want, Warren? Yeah. What do you want, nerds? Come on. <laughs> Wow. So. Michael Gray did a little time in the VHS department, I guess. <laughs> Didn't we talk about like there was some connection between Attack of the Cybermen and maybe was it was it Tomb was finally being released on VHS or something? Like Attack of the Cybermen was screened when it was because of some sort of cynical marketing ploy of uh the BBC releasing a Cyberman VHS at the same time. I don't think it was this one because that was like 86 and mm, yeah. revenge I think came out earlier than that. Um but yeah it's it it's through the BBC and it's and it's VHS Cyberman releases is, is a, a it might have been one. that because I, I don't know yeah. if they Revenge came out. I, I'd have to check the year. I don't think it was that early in the eighties. I think it was eighty three. Oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe All not. Right. That's earlier than I thought. Okay, uh, but we got to get on with yeah, the second, second question. question to Doomsday, which is what if the evil plot had succeeded and you okay, have so the, to pick your moment where it succeeds, uh, right? Because like Is it the Cybermen's evil plot or the Vogan's evil plot? Yeah, would you classify the Vogan's plot as evil? Like they are kind of luring the Cybermen. It is kind of evil that they have to pretend the Cybermen are winning and that means tons of people yeah. get killed on station. Yeah, that's pretty evil. Yeah. So um, I guess that's kind of evil, but it is, yeah, for the greater good, I suppose they would say. Um, I, I mean, I guess if both of the Cybermen, uh, both the Cybermen plot and the Vogan plot succeed, then 
the the Vogan plot outweighs the Cybermen one, right? Because they're going to use the Sky Striker, which, by the way, we haven't mentioned. Isn't it amazing mm. the Sky Striker looks just like a NASA rocket? <laughs> Maybe one that was used on an Apollo mission. Really yeah, weird. Was that the only rocket stock footage they had, I guess. I don't <laughs> I know. know. But the it's 1975. What else? Yeah, use? yeah. Go ahead. So <laughs> I guess there's two points. If you're going with the Cybermen's plot, there's two mm-hmm. points where you would say it would succeed. One, the bombs go off and destroy the planet, or mm-hmm. two, the beacon at the end collides with the planet and destroys mm-hmm. Voga. Um, I don't see that one working. The second one, because if it, if we pick up at the end there, and if the cyber leader realizes how dumb he is and he should just kill the doctor and Sarah immediately. Mm. If he just does mm. that, then, uh, Vo- sorry, the beacon hits. No, no beacon doesn't hit Voga because Voga has just fixed the sky striker. The sky striker destroys yep. the beacon, but the Cybermen are still alive. They're in their, uh, they're in their ship. So right. nobody wins. Sorry. Yeah. I guess the Cybermen just make, get to make another army. Well, and here's the plot twist is that, with the beacon destroyed, mm. and obviously the Doctor and Sarah dead, mm. Harry's stranded, but also it never becomes the Ark in space. Right. And that creates a paradox. So it cannot be destroyed. Yeah, maybe. Uh, like, which is perhaps something they, sh- they should have mentioned. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the Doctor, that could be an explanation for why the Doctor is so lackadaisical in that moment. In the big biggest bang in history moment, hmm. um, he's also the doctor. He's he's also <laughs> just the doctor, but also maybe at the back of his head he realizes, maybe even subconsciously, this cannot happen. This yeah. biggest explosion in history cannot happen. So we're all good. I'll find some way to fix it. Yeah, good thing they had it's... like radio control over that missile too, because it was <laughs> yeah. just like ah, we, we actually decided. To- not have that because we didn't want the Cybermen to do this. So, yeah. sorry, Doctor. Boom. <laughs> yeah, and let's not even get into whether you can really cause an explosion in space hmm. like that within a vacuum. Um, yeah, let's not get into requiring that. oxygen because we we go too far down that line. We're going to get to uh, the the leaking fuel. Yeah, uh, that created the Big Bang. I think itself. you have to assume like an antimatter missile or something. Yes. Um, so the other part is like, okay, what if the bombs actually work then? So if the bombs mm-hmm. somehow uh, get to the core, and I suppose basically they, what what I guess you have to assume is the Cybermen wise up that the plan's not going well and set off the bombs before mm-hmm. the Doctor has a chance to deactivate them. So in that case, most of Vogue is destroyed because I think there's only two bombs left at this point. Hmm. And but Sarah doctor, would survive on the beacon. Yeah, the Doctor can't reconstitute himself. Right, right. So yeah, no he's, Peter he's too blown up. Yeah, so the Doctor's yeah. dead. Uh, but also, I'm going to stick with my uh, theory of this. This just basically scatters gold dust throughout the cosmos. The Cybermen have kind of screwed themselves because their ships are just going to run into gold dust now. Because <laughs> uh, that's how know, it works. Yeah. Yeah. I, it seems like the who way for it to work. Yeah. Oh no, we've got gold dust from it's this disintegrating the whole leader, clogging up our vents. Yeah, something. our vents to to, <laughs> to the vacuum of space. Those vents. <laughs> yeah, those ones. It, it, the th- small thermal reactor port in the cyber ship is being yeah. affected. By the way, I do. I didn't write about this in How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, but I do have a theory. It's a working theory uh, that. Uh, George Lucas was a huge 
Doctor Who fan because he was a nerd in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was going back and forth to the UK around this time uh, where he was preparing to film Star Wars. This was 1975, right? Uh, he actually filmed it in 1976. There's a line where uh, the the commander says, I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Oh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna file that away quietly for my you know hmm. ongoing story of like was Doctor Who actually influenced by uh, was Star Wars actually influenced by Doctor Who because I've always thought that that the hyperspace effect looks exactly like the Tom Baker time tunnel, right? right. Yeah, a little bit, and little bit. definitely you know Lucas was there. Uh, filming those Millennium Falcon scenes in London, you know, obviously hyperspace didn't come in, didn't kick in until he came back. You could, you could watch. I'm sure he was settling down every Saturday night when they were <laughs> filming to watch Doctor Who on his hotel TV, and that, that would have influenced his visual thinking a lot. Oh, so, has, has anyone ever observed that R two D two looks a lot like a Dalek? Oh wait, everybody. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> Just love that that T shirt where it's a picture of a Dalek and the line is oh my god it's R2-D2 I loved him in Star Trek (laughs) (laughs) the shirt that makes nerds heads explode Um, All right, so we've dealt with the evil plot succeeding Uh, Mm, the third question where is the Clara Splinter Splinter which you've already already suggested that she um, what what did you say she was on board Nerva and she's just making sure that nope definitely not poison (laughs) Plague, not poison. <laughs> yep, yep. I, my mind is made up. I've done my pathology exam. Um, well, definitely not a cybermat. But if we're if we're keeping with our um, how we tend to use the Clara splinters, I think mm. we have to make an honest attempt to use the splinter to explain away the gigantic plot hole in this. <laughs> and all I can figure is that she. Decades earlier, Clara, the splinter, must have done something to the Vogans to essentially mm. collectively wipe their memory and all record. Not of the Cybermen, because they have to know why they're scared, <laughs> mm-hmm. but of their weakness. And why would mm-hmm. you do that other than knowing exactly how the events of this story are supposed to turn out? Mm. Um, that I don't know. I don't know, but maybe there's a... Uh, and it might have explained that whole seal of Rassilon thing. Maybe she's kind of like a, a time agent mm. that is has done this. So maybe she's from like Jack Harkness's era. You've so, got to figure. Uh, so many of the Clara splinters would have been used by the Time Lords yeah. to be sent on missions. Once once they figure out, and they're definitely going to figure out having trapped Clara, you know, in the in the the Time Lord machine, in right? Hell bent. Yeah. Um, they got to figure that hey, we can use this impossible girl. Like she's got, she's got timelines off the charts, Captain. Well, um, and, it, and if you think about it, she's kind of got an mo with the memory wipes, hmm. right? She obviously wipes yeah. the Doctor's memory of her. She wipes the Daleks' collective memory of mm. the Doctor is Oswin, and that was a that was a splinter. Indeed. Yeah. So like, I'm I'm going with this. I think yeah. <laughs> it, it, I like it. We have to somehow explain like how do the Vogans not know? It's like well, it's been deliberate. And yeah. uh, probably just to make sure that this events here turn out exactly as they're supposed to. And she's actually leaving the seal of Rassilon as uh, a, a, a indicator to the Time Lords watching through their space telescopes mm. that this is done. Yeah, you know the, the culture has been 
you know, uh, invaded basically. <laughs> completely. It turns out the Vogans are the biggest boobs in history. <laughs> like they're just <laughs> completely wool over their eyes by the impossible girl. Sorry guys. Yeah. Well, you know, Clara, you know, I mean, some idiot will even believe Clara on which TARDIS he should steal. So, hmm. uh, you know, she's, she's pretty persuasive. She is. I'll give her that. <laughs> So we're coming now to the fourth and final question to Doomsday, which is, is this a Dalek, an Ogron, or a Viscount Banger? I mean, I think it's pretty clear, right? (laughs) Yeah, it unfortunately is. It Uh, doesn't rise to the level of Dalek, even even on a rewatch, even though it's... Our review is like not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Right, <laughs> it's still not a Dalek. I can't, I can't quite get it to the Dalek. I, I kind of going yeah. into this, I was thinking like, I might, uh, maybe I should be contrarian. Like, actually, I liked it. I, I can't. It, it just doesn't work, guys. It just doesn't work. That pothole is so massive, and there are. There, it's not just that one, right? Like, I went into some other ones, but I didn't even mention um, uh, some of the others, like when uh like all just right off the bat like that those all those people in that corridor like how would they mm. even all fall down there you know what i mean yeah. like how did, did nobody saw the cybermats really <laughs> um <laughs> by the way the original jerry davis script had the doctor filling the cybermats with gold dust and mm. getting them to attack the cybermen which would be a nice you know nice way to sort of bring together a lot of the strands of the plot up until that point right um, if if he'd actually done that, I love that idea of like killing the Cybermen with one of with their own creatures. Yeah, it's kind of neat, but it kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. Now, killing the Cybermen with Cybermats filled with gold dust that would that would take it to a new level. Yeah, that would seem very Doctorish. Yeah, and that worked. Um, yeah, yeah. but like I wanted to go with try to get it like a wobbly Dalek or a bad Dalek or even an exterminated mm. Dalek. <laughs> but I got to say, this is just a kind of like a, an impressive Ogron. It's an like, impressive Ogron. Yeah, you might even call it a Vogron. Yeah, a Vogron. There you go. <laughs> it's, a, it's an Ogron who works out. He shows up on time. He does his best, uh, but he's still an Ogron. It's it's a gold Ogron. He's, <laughs> he's been hit with a glitter gun and he looks fabulous. Oh, yes. There it is. Perfect. Because <laughs> there are some, visually speaking, mm-hmm. we, we should say this one last thing. Visually speaking, there are a lot of really arresting moments in Revenge of the Cybermen. Hmm. And having joked about the cyber helmet being black and like, oh, you did that for color TV. So it's a great moment where all the Cybermen are bathed in blue light. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're sort of they're reflecting the screens. Looks really cool. Yeah. There are a lot of moments like that where it's like, oh, you really thought about this. It's kind of visually arresting. Well, and the fact that the caves are real caves mm. is helpful. You know, it's yes. like, okay. You know, that's it's better than there's a few parts where they're sets clearly and um yeah. the quality is much different. So, you know, they 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 kind of went all out where they went all out. Um definitely lots of lots of cool things to look at here. Um, so yeah, so it's it's a Vogron, he's half Vogron, half Ogron, and uh you know, and he's carrying a glitter gun. And if you like and... I say, if you do take out that huge plot hole somehow mm. You can, it's it's a passable action plot. It's it's okay. It has some tropes yeah. of the '70s for sure, uh, but it it mostly works. It's you know, if it really you were, works better than Battlefield. <laughs> it's it's very rare that I will say this, and this may be another reason for Randomizer to bring us here. Right, it's the Robert Holmes connection. We've been doing a lot of 
a lot of homes or homes related stories recently this is definitely one and it's the one of the few and obviously we're coming here from two doctors which was a robert holmes story but this is one of the few robert holmes stories where you're like or, or robert holmes influence stories where you're like if you'd just taken the holmes amendments out of this it would have been a better story right very rare that you can say that yeah very rare that he slips up but he has here yeah yeah it uh yeah <laughs> yeah, by introducing Not, the Vogons in general, like he he was the one who introduced the Vogons, and mm-hmm. that was a mistake. We can say that yeah. now. So yeah, so now I'm just going to say, as I did, accidentally just call that all of them Vogons. Uh, that that's going to be my new name. Yeah, can't you can't constantly hit the home runs. They can all be Viking bangers. That's um, right. All right, it is time oh, now. Be Daleks apparently <laughs> to leave Voga in the rearview mirror. Yes, now we have done all mm-hmm. all Pertwee and all Tom Baker Cyberman episodes. I did not think <laughs> this early in the run of Pull to Open we could say that. But also I did not know that there were so few. <laughs> and if you think about it, all Eggleston. <laughs> yeah, we've done all the Eggleston Cybermen. We've done all the Paul McGann Cybermen stories. Uh, right, right. <laughs> Broadcast anyway. Um, sort of a rhyme. Oh, and Pretty all good Hartnell once. We've done all Hartnell Cybermen encounters. Yeah. So, oh, that's true. Right. Yeah, we've yeah. done all Hartnell. So we've done a number of doctors. <laughs> Again, not uh, saying much, but we've done like half the Doctor, you know, Cybermen stories already. So the randomizer's definitely burning through <laughs> cyber stories. And, it heard uh, me. It heard me. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So before we fire up our randomizer and find out where we're going next, Pete, would you like to tell people at home how we do that? That's right. The randomizer, of course, consists of two key components, the pull to open codex and which we obviously, um, sorry, that's the codex. Yeah, it's codex. <laughs> it's a, the codex the and the executor. Random.org. Yes, random. the executor. Org. That's the fella. That's what it, I was searching for the noun. Yeah, and, random.org weirdly has not renamed itself the executor, even though it could know, do. Right. <laughs> So the codex we will open now, and it it is a comprehensive list of every televised Doctor Who story, all the way from an earthly child to the most recent Legend of the Sea Devils, all 301. And to find the random adventure that we will attend next, we activate random.org, the executor. And And what is special about random.org? Random.org happens to derive its randomness from atmospheric noise, because as it turns out, these computery things, these computers, these algorithms, very bad at actually predicting true randomness, true random numbers. So we're going for real randomness, which is these uh, disturbances in the atmosphere, which we're pretty mm. sure are not messages from the doctor, but we're still investigating. Yeah, exactly. We, we have to fully investigate this, this question of, is the doctor communicating with us through atmospheric noise? And uh, if we use the random number generator to generate a random order of Doctor Who. Will it reveal a message mm. that's actually from River? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out the entire structure of all 301 episodes says in an ancient language, hello, sweetie. Um, but no, thank you to Randomness Integrity Service Limited, who operate random.org. Um, and uh, yeah, we are going to challenge the randomizer, and then I will generate a random number between 1 and 301. Pete, what is your challenge? Oh my, my challenge. I want to go to uh, an episode that features 
nothing in the way of mechanical villains. So Ooh. no Daleks, no Cybermen, no robots. That's you want my all organic. No mechanoids either. I want. Yeah, you, I want. You're looking for a snake dance. Yeah, kind of, let's kind let's of deal. take down the yeah. tech a little bit. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> dial down the tech, yeah. which means, of course, the randomizer never listening to us that we will have the most high tech <laughs> story in Doctor Who history ever. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna do the reverse psychology thing. I'm gonna be like, please, randomizer, do not take us to a new Who Cybermen episode <laughs> because I'm sick of the Cybermen. So it would be really terrible. If you took us to a uh, episode of the Cybermen stomping around saying delete, I would hate that so much. Wow. All right. We'll see. <laughs> see if that works. <laughs> Good work. All right. Should we spin? Let's, let's spin the wheel of justice. Uh, Pete, give me the countdown. Counting down. Four, three, two, one. Fantastic. 281. We're yes, in New Who. New, but is it? Oh, no. It is. It's. Rosa, our first Whitaker, our first Whittaker. official, yeah, Whittaker. all the right, Rosa Parks story, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness! Okay, one, right. one of we're one of my favorites. Recent new. historicals, we Finally. are in New Who. We broke our it, slump. It did listen to you. Yeah, I believe is true. This, there's no high tech in Rosa. Very little in the way of tech here. Yeah. Uh, standard sci-fi stuff, but that's it. So awesome. This is great. Okay. Well, the, first Whitaker of the random yeah. era. Yeah, really, Not right? the first Whitaker of Pull to Open, because right. we did start this podcast reviewing the, the season that was unfolding, right. uh, which was the season after Rosa. Um, but yeah, it, the, the randomizer, it was, Whitaker was one of the two doctors, well, three doctors, I guess, right? Including Paul McGann, that we've not been taken to mm. yet um yeah, yeah so yeah it's very much just eggleston kind of out there going hey what about me yeah yeah um this will be an interesting interesting one to tackle um mm. i'm looking forward to it there's a there's a uh it's a very signature episode i would say of, of the whitaker era you know it it's is. very, and, very and emblematic of it but we'll get to it, it. yeah yeah i look forward to discussing that whole question of does does the fam work yeah, this yeah. may be one of those outings where they actually do, hmm. um, you know, use the the companions to, to great effect. But yeah, we'll see. I've I've seen it only once, so it'll be, it'll be good to return to it. Yeah, I'm likewise. Forward to getting into civil rights history as well. Mm -hmm. It'll definitely be a Chris's history corner for that one. Oh yeah, great forward to that. Chris's history can... wing, man. It's going to be. <laughs> yeah, we talk about how Rosa Parks there. was was not. Uh, you know, she is justly celebrated. She was not the first. Uh, person to try to, um, you know, break the segregation on buses mm. in uh, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. But we'll all get right. there. We'll yeah, get we there. will definitely get there. Well, we're looking forward to doing that. And thank you all for listening this week to us talk about Revenge of the Cybermen. Hey guys, this is Pull to Open. It's a podcast. We are in your podcast apps, coming at you in podcast form in your podcast relaying <laughs> earphones but one thing you want to do with podcasts is subscribe not only that okay. you want to review them also you want to tell your friends about them so please if you haven't done those things we would really greatly appreciate it if you do particularly if you could leave a review uh as we were just saying at the top of the show they really do help with the visibility of the podcast um drop us a line on social like we said we're on tiktok at pull to open we're also at twitter and instagram at pull to open 63 
we're hanging out there most of the time. So go ahead, drop us an at, drop us a comment, drop us a DM. Uh, we'd be happy to chat. Um, and we will see Leave you all. Leave us an emoji time. review because I'm I'm still looking forward to unpicking those. So. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's see the Rosa, uh, <laughs> the Rosa emoji title. That'll be interesting. All right, do that, folks, and we will see you in a week's time for the Rosa review. Take care, folks. Bye.